before the world ends, but <laughs> who knows, who knows. Um, yeah, so I guess, um, yeah, we'll like start the interview. We're just kind of just trying to um, just get a general overview about your life and um, what Colorado's, what growing up and uh, living in Colorado Springs has been for you and your relationship to the city um, and just kind of hear about your life on your terms. Um, and yeah, this is the Colorado Springs LGBTQ Oral History Project. Um, and today we have Ash interviewing. So if Ash wants, or narrating, yeah. So if you wanna um, tell us where you're born, what pronouns you use, and just kind of some general information about yourself and introduce yourself, that'd be great. So yes, again, I'm Ash Stevens. I use they, them, their pronouns. And oof, so I was actually born in Lonstuhl, Germany, because my mom was in the Air Force. So I was just born overseas, spent like a month there, not too long, and I came over to the, came over to the States. And I basically, I grew up in Colorado, well, was in Colorado Springs up until second grade, like first semester, and then I moved to Japan for four years. And then I came back around in like late night, like 99, and then <clears throat> went to Sprawl High School, I mean, junior high in Wyfield. District 3, and then went to Waifu for a semester, then transferred to Sierra, and that's where I graduated. Um, nothing interesting, well, I shouldn't say nothing interesting happened. Um, I, life was pretty basic up until high school, when I, I was in band and track throughout high school, and I ended up being really good at track. I was a two-time state champion in the discus. And that ended up getting me a track scholarship to go to Western State, or now it's Western Colorado University, but it was Western State. So I went to Western for music because I was always a music kid. And um, yeah, I while I was there, I won two national championships in the discus, uh, like four All-Americans, like seven RMAC championships. I still have three of the school records. So basically, I actually just went there for track, and I happened to do music on the side. But <clears throat> so I did all that, ended up graduating with a bachelor's in music. Um, and then I ended up coming back to Carl Springs to do, and I did my student teaching here at Cheyenne Mountain High School and Pine Creek High School. And then I taught at Sierra for a year. Realized that teaching wasn't really what I wanted. <laughs> it didn't really work. So I ended up having a bunch of odd jobs. And currently, right now, I work for the military. So, I mean, it's kind of weird, but I spent a chunk of my life in Colorado Springs. I do consider this my whole top town, even though I've been kind of in and out of it for most of it. But um, yeah, I've seen this place when there's literally nothing here nothing on the east side of powers really nothing on the south side of academy it was military town but it wasn't that big and milton proby didn't even exist at the time <laughs> like most of it didn't and i've been able to see it's grow and how it's changed and how it's gotten a little bit more liberal than it used to be so it's got it's really interesting cool 
um, all your athletic accomplishments are so impressive. Um, so what was like, so you moved back and forth or you, you spent time abroad. What was it like, um, like leaving and coming back and adjusting, I guess? <clears throat> well, I mean, I guess I was so young. It's like, oh, I guess we're just living here now. And it was different because it was a military base and there's a bunch of things the United States like kind of missed important events, which I didn't realize it until later. It's like, oh, like stuff like the Oklahoma City bombing happened and I never knew about it, stuff like that. <clears throat> and I guess that was interesting because we lived on base and then I go off base every once in a while and see like, because we're in Japan and say Japanese people and they would be so like, oh, look, you're an American. And I was like, this is so weird okay but for the most part I was fine over there and I guess over there there's not much to worry about I mean you can wander around base and not have to worry somebody's gonna snatch you up or anything like that be gone for hours um just kind of do and go about your business as you wanted and when I came back it was to me kind of different I to me coming back was a little bit harder than leaving because when I when I came back, I was about, so I was away for four years. I came back, I was about 11 years old. And it's just the culture, like I had just some things because it's safety of the military base. I don't really have to think about anything or what's going to happen to me. And all of a sudden I had to have all these worries. Oh, don't do this. Don't do that. You know, somebody might try to take you up. And I'm like, it wasn't a problem when I was walking to school when I was younger. I don't know what happened. And <clears throat> just... I hate to say that that's probably because people were, were a lot nicer, I guess, in Japan to me. It didn't really, I don't know, didn't really experience a lot of bullying. But when I came back, that's when it started and everything just kind of, I hate to say it like that, but it's the truth. So, yeah, so so it was a easy transition. Mm -hmm. So um, when you moved back to Colorado Springs when you were 11 and then um, through high school, uh, I guess, what what was it like for you? What was, like, middle and high school like for you? Well, it wasn't really too, well, I shouldn't say too eventful, because I started, well, that's when I started band, so that's when I started my band, Nerdum, in high, uh, junior high. But I feel like after I came back, I didn't really have any friends at that point because that's when I started experiencing bullying for basically how I looked, because... I've never looked like a girl or even tried to do that. And that became a point of contention. Didn't really have any friends. So I kept to myself most of the time. All I was pretty big in the video games, so that's what I did. I'd go to school, come home, play video games. Didn't do any of my homework, so that became an issue. But, yeah, pretty much isolated myself at that point. Through middle school, through most of high school, I had a, like a friend here and there through like band because we just saw everybody every day, but I didn't hang out with them. But <clears throat> I guess the biggest change happened when I was my sophomore year of high school because what, what, well, two of my teachers, one of my teachers was a track coach and asked me if I wanted to do it. And I looked at him like he was crazy because, and I probably shouldn't say it like that, but, um, because I was, I mean, I'm a big kid. I've always been a big kid. So to me, I'm like, I'm not running around the track. You've lost your mind. And so I know I didn't tell him that. I just told him, oh, no, I'm not interested. 
And then my very next teacher I had was also a track coach. And then I told her, I told my other teacher, no, because I'm not a runner and this doesn't make sense. She was like, oh, no, no, you can be a thrower, though. You don't have to run at all. You can just, you know, throw things and it'll be awesome. I was like, oh, okay. She gave me like a piece of paper. And because I never paid attention to class, I just ended up reading that instead of paying attention to what she was teaching me. And I think on a whim, I decided, oh, you know, maybe I'll give track a try. You know, if I hate it, I'll quit in two weeks and that'll be the end of it. And then I went to practice and turned out I was good. <laughs> and I started going to meets and I started winning. And I was like, oh, so maybe I should keep doing this. And I think that was like the biggest thing that happened is I started track and I was good. Like I won comp, like Metro leagues my first year. Like I hadn't been doing it for a couple months. And then the second year got better in one state and then one state again. And at that point I hadn't really thought about going to college because to me, I didn't know what I wanted to go to college for. It's just not something that was interested to me, but because I'd started track in high school, I started doing that. I was like, maybe I should go to college so I can continue to do track, which is kind of horrible. Not because <laughs> it's like not to get an education, not you know, not because I'm worried about that, but because I want to throw things still. And college is pretty much it. So I mean, high school wasn't. I mean, to me, high school was just I went to band went to class which I didn't really pay attention and then I went to track and then I went home again I was kind of isolate I mean I was isolated I just played video games all the time by myself so I had no like much contact with anybody outside of class and never really talked to anybody so that just I don't know just kind of grew up really quiet I wasn't not this talkative <laughs> when I was younger what what band instrument or what instruments were you playing in band I was a tuba player. No, well, I started off, this is weird, like many parts of my life is never like a direct line to anything. It makes no sense. So, I mean, I started off an alto clarinet and then I went to bass clarinet because that's a natural transition. And then sometime in high school, my band director convinced me somehow. I was like, hey, you should switch to tuba just for marching band season. You'll be awesome. I was like, sure. And then when it was time for me to go back, he wouldn't let me go back. He was like, oh, we need a tuba player just in general. So this is your forever instrument now, like band directors like to do and sneak you into instruments. You do it, I guess. Nice. And did you continue um, like playing the tuba in college? I did. That was my main instrument in college. I played trombone for a while. And my, when my professor, my main professor, my instructor private lesson instructor was like yeah you're not good at this so we're not going to do that anymore so i mainly just stuck to the tuba but i was an education major so i was required to learn all of it basically mm -hmm. wow wow um and so you mentioned like being more um being more talkative now um what how do you think uh, that transition happened or like when did you notice yourself becoming more talkative well part of it was college because Again, I usually kept to myself, like even in college, I would go to class, go to track practice band, and I would go straight into my dorm room, and that was it. And I would just go play video games all day. Well, one of my, well, one of my now friends, one day, I was trying to walk into my room, and she was like, no, you're not. You're not going in there today, and dragged me out back out and started making me hang out with people. 
and that's partially what happened. Still wasn't too talkative, but at least I hung out with people. And just, I think a bigger change happened when I started student teaching, because I, I mean, which thinking back on it, it doesn't make sense. I was trying to be a teacher when I didn't really like to talk, but that's what happened. <clears throat> but when I started student teaching, I didn't have a choice. You know, I was in charge of teaching kids. They can't do it if I don't talk to them. So I didn't really notice the change until like halfway through student teaching when I went back to Western. I went talked to some of my friends from Western, like rent. I can't remember what it was, but I was just talking to them and they looked at me like I was like, it was weird. And like, you're actually talking in full sentences now. It's like, what happened? And I was like, Oh, I think it might be the teaching that's making me talk more. And then just teaching. And so when I left college, I obviously couldn't do track anymore because it's crazy expensive. So I ended up being a weightlifter. And I'm still a weightlifter now. And I joined a weightlifting team. And they didn't really tolerate me not talking either. <laughs> so they kind of like, Every time I just sat there, they'd look at me as, you need to say something right now. So they'd kind of force it out of me. And just, I don't know, after that, I just started talking more. And then actually coming out was queer. Kind of opened the floodgates for a lot of the other stuff, too. So, cool. I definitely want to ask more about that. But um, also growing up, like, what was life like for um your family do you have any siblings um um so my parents got divorced when I was super young I think I was like three or four years old so basically after that I never really saw my dad again which is unfortunate I think they got divorced and he left I didn't really see him until he died unfortunately in Louisiana and I had to go to his funeral which is kind of dark but at that point I didn't really know him so it was just kind of what it was. Um, my mom was in the military. She's um, she was in the Air Force as a master sergeant, and she she worked because she was a single parent. So most of the time she was at work. And if you're a kid in the military, you know that your parents sometimes take you know odd hours. So there'd be points she'd work from six o'clock to like six in the morning to six at night. So I wake up and she would already be gone and I wouldn't see her and then I she'd come home and she'd be tired and then that would be it we didn't really talk or and there's a lot of times where she would work in the afternoons until past midnight so I would go to school come home she wouldn't be there she wouldn't even be there when I went to sleep so I just kind of had to oh my phone's going off my apologies I had to kind of get used to taking care of myself like there wasn't like we didn't have family meals really ever. Um, no, we didn't really talk all that much. It's just more she was always at work and I just occupied myself with video games and learned how to use the microwave. Um, and I have one older brother and he's like four and a half years older than me. So we didn't ever really talk. Maybe we would fight over who got the TV or who got the video games because we're both in a video game. So we'd fight over that. But he was the exact opposite as me because he was popular and actually liked talking to people from the outset. So he would always be out doing things and make making too many friends, as my mom would say it, because she said she, he was always too friendly to people. 
and I would just be at home. So we didn't really interact. We still, to this day, I mean, we love each other, but we still don't talk because we didn't really talk growing up. So I was like, eh. Yeah, got it. And um, oh, just really quickly, what were some of the video games that you liked playing when you were growing up or like playing Um, now? I was a big fan of RPGs. So I played basically all of the Final Fantasies. I've played them all the way up to 15. Um, What else did I play? Just honestly, whatever I can get my hands on, because we we had video games, but we weren't, we didn't have a lot of money, so it was basically whatever my brother got I played. What else? Yeah, like Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger, all the ones, the storytelling ones are the ones I played until I got older and can get my own system and my own computer. And then, yeah, Elder Scrolls, just, yeah, any RPG, but I've and I used to play MMOs, but it started feeling more like a job instead of me actually um, playing video games. And I, I'm grown now. I don't have the time. I have to go to work. So now I just play casual, like, survival games when I have some time. And I can, like, walk away from it. So I don't play as much as I used to. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then you talked about um, coming out. And just, I guess I'm curious, like, what that was like for you and um, your relationship to your sexuality, like, growing up, etc. So, because I spent most of my life here, and this place is, cra- this is really conservative place, like, especially back in the 90s when I was here. And um, I also grew up in the military, and the military is like, don't ask, don't tell. Like, you don't talk about it. If you talk about it, you're fired. So basically, growing up here and grew up up in the military, I grew up with a very negative image, like, very negative um, viewpoint of homosexuality. That's just what happens, and just being queer. It's like you grow up with everyone telling you this is bad. You know, you're going to get fired. You're going to get attacked all these things that I just ended up growing, and I hate to say this, but it's part of it. I grew up super homophobic when I was a kid. Not so much that I would say, call anybody names or anything like that, but I was just, for some reason, really afraid of anyone thinking I was queer, which probably should have been the first sign that I was probably queer, because no one has that irrational fear that if I like certain shows or certain artists or like hang out with certain people that people are going to think you're queer and if they think you're queer like some act of violence was going to happen to you like I used to be daily afraid and I don't know if a lot of people know who this is because I don't know if it's a thing I used to be afraid of like getting curbed like somebody like grabbing me taking me like smashing my head against the curb because that's how afraid I was of being thought of as queer I'm not sure what sparked that? I mean, I guess you could say, some people say, oh, you kind of always know that something's different or that you're different in some way, but you don't know how to describe it. And it might've been one of those things. Um, I still don't know why I was so afraid of being, well, now I kind of know, but I didn't know at the time. But yeah, I was like, internalized homophobia was crazy. I did like, if I heard anything was queer or related to queerness, or even if there's a rumor, I wouldn't engage with it at all. I would drop it unless it was something I really liked. Like I didn't learn till after the fact that it was queer related. Like I used to watch the Ellen sitcom show when I was a kid and I like watched 
to the all the time and then she came out and I was like, oh snap, like she's queer and I can't be associated with this, but I still like it. So it's like, I wouldn't admit to people that I liked Ellen. I would just like, oh, Ellen, yeah, yeah, whatever. But I would secretly watch her show at night. So it was like a bunch of weird stuff like that. I remember really liking like NSYNC when I was younger. I was an NSYNC fan. And there's rumors back then, like when I was in elementary school, maybe middle school, that one of them was gay. Turned out to be true. It was Lance. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, I can't listen to this anymore. And I would shove it aside. So just growing up in such negative environment for queerness, I was just definitely afraid of it until I got to, like, I got to college and I got away from the city and I ended up making a bunch of, like, the friend that made sure that I didn't go into my room and, like, dragged me out of there, she happened to be bisexual, which I didn't know at the time. But one day I was sitting around with them and she turned to one of the other women in the room. She's like, remember when you we used to date? And I was just sitting there like, oh, what in the world? And then they turned, I was like, hey, we're not going to try to convert you. It's okay. <laughs> so I mean, just I just started hanging out with more queer people in college. And at that time, I think YouTube's just started to get popular. So you start watching videos and there's a bunch of queer people on there. And somehow I just came, like, I started becoming kind of obsessed about it. <laughs> like looking up queer content, like part of my brain was like, oh no, this is you and you need to find your people and you need to start like looking for stuff. So I would just watch queer stuff all the time. Between that and having queer friends, like, I started opening up about it, but I still wouldn't openly admit anything. So I would admit that, like, hey, I have queer friends. I'd be like, I have my queer friend group and my non-queer friend group, and those are separate things. And I was like, I wouldn't, I'm not, like, openly homophobic, but I really wouldn't talk about it with anybody. I just, you know, keep my opinions to myself. And even at that point I had not been in a relationship I had not been interested in being in a relationship so part of me the more I watched videos the more I started hanging out with people and I was like this is prop this is a thing I, I bet this is a thing and so I started thinking about it but I would never openly talk to anybody about it like period I would go to some spectrum meeting meetings or like um, queer club on campus but I would never even tell anybody I was really going and then the people I was going with was like, oh, I'm not queer. I'm just here as, you know, an ally and I support y'all and it's awesome. But I would never talk about, and maybe I'm one of you, but I'm not gonna talk about that because I'm not doing that. So I think, so um, my coming out process, sorry, that was kind of long, but coming out is like a progression it's like a journey it's not just one straight line <laughs> so um it actually started with weightlifting because you know at college I never came out never talked about it just kind of like stayed away from it and then I started like going to weightlifting and people in my weightlifting team like two of them were openly queer and like didn't give a didn't care that anyone knew about it everyone knew about it um, and no one cared. And to me, like, because I had kept those two parts of my life separate, I never got to see, like, openly queer people being out in front of everyone else and no one caring. 
and that I think was the biggest thing, just seeing that and being around them and being in a space where it was okay. And this is back in the Springs, and by then, <clears throat> the Springs had shifted at that point. Well, not – it's still conservative, but, it, like, we had pride then. You know, we didn't have pride when I was a kid. But I was just in a gym with people that are queer, and then I went to my first pride. I think – and at this point, I'm, like, 25, and I was just driving downtown, and I saw – and this was back when Pride in Colorado Springs was at Acacia Park, like in the middle of the city. I think that was the last year. And I saw the sign. I was like, oh, you know, Carl Springs Pride, which, and I stopped because in Gunnison, we didn't really have a Pride. The only way you can go to Pride is if you like drove four hours because Gunnison's in the mountains, like four hours from here. So I didn't go. And I thought about going to Springs Pride, but I chickened out because again I you know try not to be openly like queer tried to stay away from it and going to a pride kind of signified something at least to me it did so I didn't go that year kind of regretted it as soon as I left and was like the next year's like I have to go to pride I don't have a choice I just need to go to see what it was like so the next year I went but I didn't tell anybody I was going it was just like I'm just going to go sneak out of the house in the middle of the morning, go, come back. And I don't know a lot of people, don't talk to a lot of people, so no one will see me. That didn't happen because one of my teammates from the gym, openly queer, one, her, name was Ar- her name's Arlene, As, when I was leaving Pride, she was going into Pride and she saw me and she was like, huh, okay. No, she just said, hey, hi, happy Pride. And I was like, dear to headlights, like, yeah, happy Pride. It just, <laughs> like walked out and I think a couple months later like that same year she was like so hey so I saw you at Pride and I was just wondering if you were like you know gay or anything and at that point I didn't really know what I was because I wasn't I mean I wasn't really attracted I knew I wasn't attracted to men some women I found attractive but I didn't know. I was, just, I was kind of in this middle area where I wasn't sure what it was. So it's like, oh, no, I'm not interested in anybody. You know, I like personalities. I don't really care. And she looked at me and was like, no. <laughs> so basically, she called me. I was like, no, I bet. It's like, if you really think about it, like, really think about it, I'm pretty sure you're gay. <laughs> and she was correct. I was just like, I guess I didn't want my mind to go there. Because I had resisted it for so long that it got to the point where I would just never, I'm, I tried not to think about it. And then when she said that, I kind of had a mini panic. I was like, no, 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 that's not right. I'm not gay. Thanks for this conversation. <laughs> and that's basically how it started. And then for the next, it took five years of just going to Pride's, like, becoming a little bit braver about going to Pride's and, like, actually telling people, like, going with people and just being in that gym where everyone knew and every once in a while they were like, hey, we found this hat. You might like it. And it was, like, a rainbow flag hat. Or they would just, like, mention queer, like, hey, there's a gamer, a gamer shirt over there. Do you want that? Like, just kind of trying to gently push me in that direction to the point where, like, and I haven't been out for that long. It's 
So I actually officially started coming out the day before my 31st birthday, and I am 33, going on 34 right now. So I haven't been out for that many years. Now, yes, one day, because I was invited to go see Bob the Drag Queen in Denver, which is freaking awesome, like by Arlene and her my, her now wife, Jaquia, I was invited to go, but me and Arlene were like walking around the city in my brain. I was just like randomly thinking about it. And I just like said, it's like, you know, I'm not ever going to be interested in guys. And that's how I put it. And she was like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I kind of figured that. And for her, it was like, yeah, we already know that, whatever. And I went into a mass panic because I had never said it, never mentioned, never talked about it. Went home, freaked out, like, crying and stuff in my bedroom, like, having a panic. And then, I guess the next day, but then I also felt guilty because I felt like I didn't say the words. It was like, if I'm going to come out, and I kind of did come out, I was like, I have to say them. And Arlene's been the one that's there. It's like, I felt guilty that I couldn't say it to her. And she's... I'm getting phone calls. Um, went back the next day and told her I was queer, cried some more, had some more panics, told a couple more people in my gym. And then as a guy, and at that point, I felt like I kind of have to do this. I kind of have to tell everyone because I've kind of had enough of the, I keep getting messages, of the not talking about it and the hiding it. So I started writing a letter to like I was going to put on Facebook it was on and off that I was writing. I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to post this. I'm like, no, 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 I can't post it. I just won't talk about it. A couple people know I won't talk about it. But I think the day before my birthday, I was like, I don't, well, I gave, I gave, my birthday was the deadline that either I was going to do it or not. I gave myself a, like, imposed deadline. Not sure why. And the day before, I was like, no, I have to do it. I have to do it now. So I kind of wrote it quickly, like, kind of edited it it was awful editing so it was probably horrible to read and I just posted it and that was pretty much it which kind of seems to me I posted it and everyone's like yeah we already okay we thought you were already out <laughs> it's like we thought we already knew they're like congrats surprise <laughs> kind of I wasn't hiding it that well. I really wasn't at that point. <laughs> yeah, it's like you all knew about this this whole time and didn't tell me. <laughs> how did everyone else know about me? Yeah, that's funny how um, that process kind of goes and just like, um, yeah, I guess like the politics of like coming out because it is always like a process and there's not like a, you walk through a door and then you, you know, there's no like... Um, yeah so just like what that process is like and like what it means to like tell every like you know to go on Facebook um and like make yourself vulnerable in that sense um were people like how were people supportive or like did you face any like negative consequences from posting on Facebook or like telling people that you knew no they were supportive but then they all pretty much figured because also at that time like in those five years, I just became more 
queer, even though I didn't admit it, or more queer friendly. Like I started po- like talking about it more. I didn't do so much work in this space, but I was always, you know, advocating for things and just, and you know, accumulating slowly accumulating rainbow gear <laughs> from people. Like I get the t-shirts, and then like one day I decided, oh, this unicorn shirt with the rainbow on it. Like from T Turtle looks cool. Maybe I'll buy this and see what happens and see if anyone says anything. But I never said I was queer. So I think some people just like always thought I was queer and they're like surprised that I was still struggling with it. Like one friend's like, I didn't realize this was still an issue for you. But okay, congratulations. So there wasn't any real negatives, but then the people I surrounded myself at the time were a lot of them were queer people who were friendly towards queer people. So I guess I guess I was lucky I was at the point in my life because then I was like 30 years old, so I can really control who I was around. I hung out with a lot of people who were like allies and whatnot because I wouldn't openly hang out with homophobic people. I mean, that was just not my thing. So I guess it was just me coming out when I was older was a little bit more helpful. The only one... I guess it wasn't really negative because I came out to everyone on Facebook, except for my mom. I left my mom off the post because you could selectively decide who sees it. And I was like, not her. But then one of my, Arlene was like, hey, we should celebrate. Let's, you can come to our, our house and have a few drinks. Had a few drinks. Made a very poor decision. Don't do this. Of going home, like kind of, I had one drink, but because I had been still panicking over coming out for the past 24 hours. I didn't sleep. So I was sleep deprived and had a drink. Drove home. And I, and I lived with my mom because economy sucks. And I opened the door and she was like, you've been drinking? And she was like yelling at me because I also didn't drink at the time that she knew of. <laughs> and so she was sitting there yelling at me and at that point. And my brain, for some reason, it made sense. It was like... Well, since you're already mad, <laughs> let me just tell you that I'm gay too on top of it. Since you're already angry with me, it can't get worse, right? <laughs> and so I told her, she just kind of had a, a say, eh, it's your life, you do what you want sort of things. But I also think at that point, because like 25, I was at 25, I was 30, hadn't been in any relationships because I really hadn't. Also, don't have any kids. My brother had, like, marriage and kids already that I hadn't. I think she kind of gave up on me having kids because she just realized, like, hey, you're never going to, like, you know, be in a relationship or have kids. So she was just like, do what you want because it doesn't matter because you're not in a relationship anyways. So that was, like, the most negative response, but it wasn't really negative. It was just like, eh, you can't do anything about it. You're old now. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so you talked about um, kind of meeting people at your weightlifting gym who were or on your weightlifting team who are openly queer. But how I guess how how do you meet other queer people or like find supportive community over the years in Colorado Springs? So after I came out, I decided and this is where me being really social and starting like opening up kind of happened. I was like, I kind of need to meet people. I just wanted to meet people. So I went on Meetup, and I think I just typed in gay or something like that. And I found um, Queer Friends of Carl Springs, which is just a group of queer people that get together and meet up. And I um, 
just started going to their events and um, started hanging out and talking. And that's the first time I like had, I shouldn't say that I had queer friends because I had early in Jaquie, but then there's only two of them. And then some of their friends were queer and I kind of knew them, but I wasn't friends friends with them. And my f- queer friends in college, we'd hang out, but then it was never like an openly like saying, hey, we're openly queer and we're taking over this space. And just so everyone knows we're gay, which is what we did in Queer Friends. We just show up and everyone's like, you can tell people are queer by the person wearing the rainbow hat or the shirt, stuff like that. And we would like just go bowling and, you know, I don't know, have dinners and stuff like that. And that's just kind of how it happened. I just hung out in that group. Still I'm a part of it. Don't hang out so much anymore. and kind of can't because of COVID. But that's just where it started. As soon as I came out, I was like, well, now that I'm queer, I'm openly gay, because that's what I went by at the time. I was like, eh, let me go make some queer friends. I just kind of jumped into it, sort of. Cool. And you um, you identify, or you use they, them pronouns. So do you identify as non-binary as well? I do. And that one was very recent, because um, <clears throat> when I started hanging out with queer friends, well, when I came out, part of the thing I struggled with, I kind of struggled with this more than my sexuality was just my gender, my gender presentation. Because again, I never, I never felt like I identified as a girl, period, because I'm, I'm born female at birth. Sorry, I'm so horrible with the language. Um, I never identified with being a girl. Like there's no part of my life where I was like, oh yeah, I'm a girl. I'm super girly. And I like, we shouldn't gender things, but, like, I didn't do girl things at all. Didn't, like, play with dolls. Didn't, like, get makeup or get my hair done. Like, I didn't, like, any of that stuff, anything that is considered, like, girl things. I stayed away from it. Like, I played video games. I, like, played with trucks, you know, played outside in the dirt. That's just kind of what I did. And I dressed that way. It's like, I like t-shirts and shorts. I'm not wearing a dress. I hate dresses. You know, I hate wearing earrings. I hated all of it. So in my mind, I was like, I always saw myself as a masculine person, just period. But I never had the language for it. So I always used to say, oh, yeah, I'm a girl, but I'm not a girl. Like trying to find some way to like say, hey, Ted, because according to society, I have all these, you know, have all these parts. So I'm considered a female and a girl, but I'm not, though. And so, <clears throat> but I still when I was younger and especially when I was college, still tried to play, I guess I call it playing the game. You know, when I had to go to fancy events, okay, I have to go put on a pair of heels and maybe I can find like a Hillary style pantsuit instead of a dress, but you know, maybe I'll got to put on the earrings and do my hair up. So I still tried to look present as a female. I didn't really identify with it ever, but because I felt like I had to in certain situations, I was still doing it. But then after I came out as gay, for some reason, that was like, you know what? I'm already gay. Nothing else really matters at this point. So I'm going to present how I want to present. I'm going to go, you know, buy a suit jacket and some pants and, like, wear a suit instead of, like, what I was wearing. You know, I had more confidence. Like, I'm just going to cut my hair short and not care. And there's, you know, nothing you could do about it. I just start presenting more masculinely. But I didn't have the language for it until I joined Queer Friends because one of the people in the group <coughs> came out as queer on Facebook. I mean, not queer, came out as non-binary on Facebook. And I was like, and I started looking it up 
the definition is like, huh. And then I met with the person because we went to the same events and I asked them, I was like, hey, so you came out as non-binary. It's like, what is that like? Like, what's non-binary? I started asking questions and then they started talking to, oh, this is just how I feel. I don't feel like I identify with gender and just start describing it. And I started nodding my head like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then it hit me. I was like, oh, okay, snap. So that's what that is. Because <laughs> it basically described how I've been living my life. I just didn't have the language for it. And I was like, oh, so non-binary gender queers, like that makes perfect sense. And I was still kind of weary of it. Because I didn't want to seem like, oh, you know, come out as gay, the non-binary, and it's a fad type thing, and I just want to be cool. It's like, I mean, that's how I felt, but I was kind of hesitant on telling people this is how I felt, so I just kind of had conversations. I talked with Arlene, which, cool thing, or crazy, I should have said this earlier, but she's she actually graduated from Colorado College <laughs> as a gender studies person, <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, yeah, this seems cool, so she's an alumni, and I talked to her about it, she's like, you do realize this is my degree, right? And yeah, that's what that is. And that's probably what's happening. I was like, oh, so I could have talked to you way earlier and gotten this information. She was like, yeah, pretty much. So then I kind of just slowly came out like anyone knew I met. I told them I go by they, them pronouns and people that I had met before, I was just still using she, her, her pronouns. And then I slowly started telling people, hey, this is what's going on with me use they them pronouns there's some areas unfortunately I don't use they them pronouns and I guess if I have to talk about like negativity and like being queer and stuff this is mainly where it comes from I don't and don't tell anybody at my job because again I work for the military which just banned trans people from service so and I work in an environment that basically it's I would say some of some people have said some homophobic, transphobic things. And I came out as non-binary after I started working that job. But they would say really bad things then. So I was like, I can never come out as anything here. Just don't talk about it. But then I guess the more I came out, the more I became a little bit militant in my queerness. So I got to the point, I was like, you know what? No. I'm not going to let them, like, I'm not going back in the closet for these mofos, but I just came out, like, didn't come out. I would just, like, wear my rainbow hat. I would, like, make sure my car had rainbow stickers on the back. I would, like, wear my rainbow shoes. So I didn't come out, but I was just, like, I'm not closeting myself for you. You're just going to have to deal with it and hope that I wouldn't get fired. <laughs> so, but I never come out as non-binary. I just don't do it. It just... It's iffy because, like, I've heard people misgender Caitlyn Jenner, you know, um, is it Chelsea Manning also being misgendered, just a lot of language. So to me, it's like, it's like I just don't feel like dealing with it because I could fight that fight, and I just don't, like, I'll be openly queer and I'll wear my rainbow stuff, you know, so if I see anybody, you know, at my job that none of them that I know of that are queer or open about it, but just kind of like a signal, like, hey, I'm queer, I'm open about it, if you want to talk, you know, I see you, but non-binary, I don't do it there, and then I came out to a few people in my gym, 
like, well, I moved to a new gym because the old gym, like, the club is gone now. So they all know. And people in my new gym, I told some of them. I didn't tell all of them because that weight athletics is such a binary space. And it's annoying. And even though I do identify as non-binary, I have to lift as a female athlete. And part of me is like, I just don't feel like dealing with it there. It's like, because I'm going to have to lift as a female anyways, which is annoying to me, but I don't have a choice. And there's some conservative people in that space. And I was like, you know, I just want to go to practice, do my weightlifting, go home. I don't feel like dealing with this. Like the people I'm friends with, I'll tell them and we'll be cool, but everyone else, I just kind of leave it, like, alone, and don't even bother, so I still use <clears throat> my, like, she, her, hers at work, and at the gym, like, the people who know, they don't use those pronouns, but most people use she, her, hers, and then outside of that, everywhere else, they, them pronouns, so I guess I'm kind of indifferent, because I've gotten used to being misgendered, like, even at work, like, even today, I call calls, like, hey, sir, I mean, ma'am, um, verb. <laughs> so I always get that reaction. So I guess I'm kind of used to it, but I do prefer they, them, theirs. Sorry, that's a long answer for that. For sure. Yeah, I guess you have to be, like, strategic as to, like, what, you know, what pipes you're going to pick and, like, where you want to push things and, like, where, like, just kind of, like, passing in whatever way works for that space is what you're going to do. How long, how long have you been working for uh, your current job? It's been two years. And part of me, like, when I first got there and I heard some of the homophobic language, I went to Arlene and I told her, like, because at the time I've been working part-time jobs because I stopped teaching and I couldn't find, like, a steady job. So this was the first full-time job that I had that was paying well. Not well enough for me to move out, unfortunately, but paying well. And I go there, and they're homophobic. Like, some of them, not all of them are homophobic, but some of them are homophobic. But to me, I just came out. Like, it had been that many years since I come out, and I hear this homophobic language. And I go to her, it's like, this is the highest paying job I've had, but it's also the most homophobic job I've had, and I don't know if I can keep this job. So it's, um, and Arlene talked to us, like, hey, yeah, it's like I was kind of worried because you told you told me where you were working, and those institutions are, I hate to say it, usually homophobic. Like they just ended "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" a few years ago, and like trans issues at that time, you weren't even allowed to be trans in the military yet. And I, I think they were talking about it, but they hadn't done it yet. So I mean, just the space is still. It's like everything grows. It's like, you know, when same-sex marriage came out, it wasn't like all of a sudden everyone was, you know, cool with everyone being queer. It's kind of a process. It was the same thing with where I work in the military. It's like, you know, they just ended Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Most soldiers, they don't care. If you're getting shot at, you don't care if the person next to you is gay. But still, there's this super conservative culture that doesn't go away just because you let people in. It's kind of just that slow change. So I've been working there for two years, and definitely where I work, we're all civilians there, but we work for the military, and um, basically a lot of them are retired, and they were in the military before 
you know, a lot of them were in the military before Don't Ask, Don't Tell went away. And a lot of them were in the military before Don't Ask, Don't Tell was even a thing. Where if they just suspected you were queer, you were just fired and they kicked you out. So the attitudes are still way more conservative. So I just choose. I real at that point I realized like me being open. For, if people were like queer there, and if I'm just open, like we're rainbows, I can kind of at least signal to them like, hey, I'm a safe person to talk to if you need to talk to me because I'm queer. And like one of my coworkers like kind of saw the rainbows like oh yeah you're queer it's like yeah it's like cool like he doesn't care and some people don't get it at all which i'm shocked at. <laughs> like oh we're rainbows and it's just like going over their heads and i went for a promotion and one of the guys like hey make sure you know don't dress like the fellas this time wear your like prettiest dress and i was looking at him like does it look like i ever wear a dress <laughs> i didn't say that but yeah for i just decided it's like it the culture here, it's, it's been like this for so long and I can kind of just be myself, but trying to like fight and see changes here. I don't see it happening here until it happens in the greater military culture where it is kind of changing, but I don't think it's a hundred percent. So I'm like, I'll just be open and be me and hopefully something changes, but I'm not, I don't feel like fighting battles here. I just want to go make my money and go home. And if, like, something really problematic comes up, which a few things since, not about queerness, but about other things have come up that's problematic, and I'll be like, hey, you know, let's have a discussion on this, but that's complete BS, so I'll fight back on some things. The queerness stuff, I, no one talks about it, so I haven't had to fight that battle yet, but when it does come up, that might be the day where I'm like, is this the day I get fired for saying something crazy? <laughs> Or standing up like, what do you mean, you people? What are you trying to say? I haven't had to do that yet. Thank mm-hmm. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The U- I feel like the U.S. military is can be, like, an intimidating... That's a huge institution. So, like, that, yeah. They're going to need change coming in all sorts of directions to be able to, like... Yeah. Well, to people who are in the military who are, like, queer or no queer people, no trans people, like, that are here and, like, on these bases but they're like i think the queerness part they'll talk about but like being trans especially since it was really banned i mean if they're already out there's nothing they can do but i talked to someone's like they're still having issues getting their health care because you ban being trans they're not gonna be able to get gender affirming care so i mean it's happening on these bases it's like people are just not talking about it and as institutions like there's always been queer people in the military I mean the reason why San Francisco is the way it is is because the Navy would kick people out and that's just where they landed so it's like it's always been there it's just it's just like with everything else like there's black people in the military there's also racism and they've been trying to deal with that but it's still an issue it's just it sucks yeah that the institution that has everyone in it still can't seem to get its stuff together, but I'll leave it there. For sure. I mean, and what it, what do you do at your job in the military now, or as, yeah, working for the military now? I'm a target systems mechanic. So, and I guess, I don't, if they see this, I'll get in. I don't care. Um, so basically the soldiers go out and they train and then I fix the targets that they shoot at because if you're in the Springs, especially on the South side of the Springs and that, 
you you should be hearing it now, but you'll hear like these booming sounds and they're coming from for a car because they're training. That's what they do. So I'm out there with them in the middle of the night fixing targets. And it's the job itself is cool. I like it. It's not what I went to school for, but I don't know. And I hate, I hate to say this because you're about to graduate from college, so maybe you'll have better luck than I have. But not a lot of people are using their degrees. But I get paid about the same or more than I would being a teacher, so it works. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I just help soldiers fix targets. I work shift work, so I actually worked this morning from, like, midnight to 8.30. <laughs> so I was just getting wow. up. Yes, I just got up, like, an hour before this. Oh, I might be a little loopy. I should have warned you about that. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, and so what, why, um, what made you decide that teaching wasn't a profession that you wanted to pursue? Well, part of it was, um, so I just came in in, like, the middle of No Child Left Behind. Well, it's weird because I kind of grew up in it because I did the state testing and, you know, and at the time it wasn't a serious thing when they were doing state testing, but when I started teaching the school I was at, they, the kids, like 50% of their grade was based off of the district assessments, you know, and then they had to do the CSAP. And I mean, I'm a music teacher. I went to school to teach music, not to give them all these tests. So that was a part of it. It was just all the testing and all like I had kids because the school that I was at, the band program had basically been decimated partially because no child left behind because when you're testing reading and math and science and, you know, music and social studies and PE aren't a part of those programs, they get cut. So just the funding for those programs start getting cut. They had turnover in teachers. So by the time I got there, the band program was kind of, gone so I was like from the middle school level up through the high school like there's kind of a how do I describe it's like um, a progression like you start beginning band in middle school or elementary school and then every year you kind of progress but when that stops for any reason and it's not happening then I get kids in high school that can't read their music or don't know any music theory and just can't do basic stuff so I was trying to to get them just to do the basic stuff. But these tests, like these are the requirements for the tests, which are way up here. My kids were like down here. I hate to say it, some of them are kind of up here because they came from like other states and stuff like that. Or they came from more privileged schools that had band programs. But I had kids down here. So I'm trying to sit here and close the gap. Well, I have the state telling me if they are not here, you know, we're gonna tell them that they're unsatisfactory. And then my district had a test on top of it that was 50% of their grade and that all the teachers were judged off of that test. So if your kids weren't doing well in that test, that was part of your evaluations. So I just, part of it was like, hey, I hate, like I kept trying to push them beyond where they were at. They had these tests and I was looking at the tests like, I didn't even do some of this stuff was in college and this is ridiculous. So that was part of why I kind of got out because I didn't agree with that. It was that part of it was classroom management because I'm, I was working with kids who like their parents were working all the time. They don't have time to check in with their kids or to like discipline them if I'm sending them notes or anything, you know, 
So they're not like disciplining their kids. And then you go to administration. And at that point, because teachers have been demonized and administration have been demonized, basically whatever the parent says go. So if you try to discipline the kid and send them to the principal's office, and the principal doesn't want to get yelled at by the parents, they'll just send them back. So they're not, you know, getting disciplined. And then they come to your classroom like, oh, well, I can cuss you out because what are they going to do to me? So it was kind of, it was the testing part of less like the not supporting of teachers by administration, by the parents. And by that first year, I just kind of got beat up. And I hate to say it happens to all first year teachers. You either make it, you swim or you sink. And I kind of sank and I didn't completely get out of teaching. I like, I left that school. I was like, well, maybe if I go to, cause I taught high school. So maybe if I go to elementary school or middle school, maybe that'll be a better fit. But as a music person, it's, and for those of you out there going into music and some other degrees, you need to realize this, it's very hard to get a job as a music teacher because there's only one music teacher per school usually, maybe two. So it's just kind of hard to find jobs when there's already experienced music teachers who might have been laid off because they cut their music programs or they weren't hiring as much. Like, there's experienced teachers trying to find jobs. I'm a new teacher. And I hate to say it, student teaching does not count as experience, because actually it technically does it. It's way different when you're by yourself. But just on your resume, they don't, they don't count that as experience. It's like, and usually what happens is either you have to teach out in the middle of nowhere or teach in the rougher schools, which they're rough for a reason, and so you end up just leaving. But I tried to stay in teaching for a little bit. I substitute taught, and the more I substitute taught, and just saw what was going on with education, with the testing, and with Common Core, with just a whole lot of other things, and the fact that teachers are still being demonized. I was like, I, was like, I don't think I really want to be a teacher anymore, and I don't know what I want to do. And then I started my current job, which starting pay for my current job, and you don't need to call it college education to get it paid as much as I paid more than I made being a teacher and I looked at that and I was like I'm not going back to teaching where I'm going to be I'm not going to be appreciated I don't agree with how education's going I'm just making more money and I can get actually get raises because also when I was teaching they were they had pay freezes so no one was getting raises at the time so I think most people, well, you make, most school districts in this city, I think make like around $30,000, maybe a little bit more starting out. The district I was in, because they were doing pay for performance, which oof, was a mess, it started at 35, but that's like, it was like $16 an hour. And in the city and in the state where you probably need more like 20, 25 bucks to kind of like, be stable in your living situation. Like I was making like closer to 35 and like within six months, closer to $40,000 a year. It just, there's no incentive for me to ever really go back, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. Yeah, that sounds difficult. And also just unfortunate for like students as well, who are like being held to these tests and like all that. Well, unfortunate on multiple levels because the school I was at because 
of the way that they were testing and the way that teachers are supported, they were cycling through teachers like every year, like 40% retention rate. It was bad. They were just, teachers kept leaving every year and they also were doing Teach for America, which is a good program. Like, because basically what happens is if you just start a career and decide to go into teaching instead of going back to school since you're already in your career field they'll just send you out to a school and you do your student teaching and you have a mentor but it's only for three years so after three years you don't have well sorry i didn't explain this quite well so you do three years in an underprivileged school which is where i was so for three years you have to be at an underprivileged school and then after that you get your teaching license and you can go wherever you want which sounds good until you have a bunch of teachers going to the same school that's underprivileged and then they all leave and, oh it's three years so you got the people who decide education's not for me this is rough i can't do this that leave you got teach for america teachers which after three years like i can go teach at a way nicer school than this and then they leave so they don't have anybody consistent which i don't know about you but like when i was in high school you always had consistent teachers you always had the teacher that was there for four years and if you needed anything, you can talk to them. And not just as a student, but the younger teachers go talk to the older teachers, you know, to get advice, to kind of figure out how to teach. But if that doesn't exist, then it's just everyone cycling through this. So these kids aren't getting a constant education. They have no one to depend on. And then they're upheld to these crazy standards. So you have a teacher who might have left in the middle of semester, which I've seen like a teacher just decided I quit like and left the class hanging and then you have this test coming up where if you mess up in it you're going to flunk your classes and also at that school they didn't do d's d's did not get you degrees it was a b c f so if you fell below 60 percent you're already going to fail <laughs> so it's just a disaster so these kids i felt so bad for them because it's like you're being held to these impossible standards. You don't have consistent teachers. You're already in a low income kind of bracket. To, like some kids were kind of okay and some kids weren't like title one school. So both of your parents are probably working. So you're not getting support at home. So it's just like a combination of things. It's just like a disaster. And I wish part, I, that's, I felt guilty. When I left teaching, that was the thing I felt guilty about because I did have kids that did like band. That was the one space where they felt like they could be successful because it wasn't like math or science where there's all these crazy standards because I was really trying to educate them and not just push them towards the test. But I had to leave them. And I was like, sorry, but this is ridiculous, which is why we have a teacher shortage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know that is that's so tricky for everyone for sure and unfortunate but yeah hopefully things hopefully things can change um so just to kind of like shift um topics a little bit um so you mentioned like weightlifting and being on a team uh and I was just curious about that and like um your gyms changing and just kind of like what the weightlifting like athletic space is like for you now. Well, I mean, I'll just say I love weightlifting. I mean, that's where I came out. Weightlifting to me always seemed like an open space. 
I feel like it's different from, and maybe it's not different, I guess, because I've always been in track, and to me, my experience was different because I was introverted. But gym, the teams are so small, and it's such a small, like, not everyone does Olympic weightlifting, which, just to give you an idea, it's, um, Olympic weightlifting is like the clean and jerk and the snatch, so every Olympics, you see the people in the singlets lifting those crazy weights over their heads, that's the sport that I do. It's just, it's such a small community that when you join a team, it's more like, those are your friends. It's not just, I go to the gym, put my headphones on, like you're at a ballet, ignore everyone, do your workout, and leave. It's like, you practice with these people, you hang out with these people. I've been to weddings, you know, we've done holidays, St. Patrick's Day, those were good. <laughs> so it's, um, so weight like it in itself is like really family friendly, like everyone gets along for the most part, like, you don't just be, it's the expectation that you get to know people, they, you know, become friends, because these are your teammates, you're working with them, you're working in a small space, because weightlifting gyms aren't like most gyms, like, you go to a massive valley where there's a whole bunch of machines and a racquetball court and whatnot, some weightlifting gyms are just in a really small building, like, sometimes they, in industrial type areas like sketchy areas and that's I, I don't know why we like to work out in those areas it just makes sense but really small spaces you only have a platform and weights you always have to share stuff so it's just it kind of forces you to get along with people I've never like I've never had any issues I've kind of always made friends there we always kind of you like in weightlifting you have a lot of I shouldn't say, yeah, you have a lot of downtime because you're, we're dealing with such heavy weights. We're not just constantly lifting. So you'll lift something like maybe one, three times and you'll put it down. You'll sit down for a minute. So there's like a lot of time for chatting. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes too much chatting, but weightlifting, it's like a very friendly space and also very inclusive space because I don't, I can't speak for other sports, unfortunately. Some sports, I can't speak for that they're very unfriendly, actually going in the opposite direction. But weightlifting has been very inclusive, especially like queer stuff. Like they have an inclusion and diversity, like fund, you know, they always do stuff for Pride Month. You know, there's a lot of, some of our Olympians are like openly queer. So it's just like kind of always been an open space. So I guess I shouldn't have been surprised when I found two only queer people at the gym because that's just how it is there. But I don't know. I like weightlifting. It's a little bit easier to do. It's not dependent on, like, the weather or anything like that because you're always inside. The schedule is a little stretched out because weightlifting meets you might go every two months or so. So it's not like a constantly, like, competing. It's like every two months you might – okay, maybe I'll go to that competition, maybe I'll go to that one, it's, there's no pressure to compete, I mean, unless you're, like, super serious about it, then, yeah, if you want to go to the Olympics, yeah, you got to put in some work, but you can also just be a casual weightlifter, it's like, hey, I'm doing this just, you know, to keep in shape, and I go to the gym, and you always kind of find a mixture of people, people that are just kind of getting into it, or just casual, maybe they don't compete as much, but they just like the sport, and then you run into serious people. I'm kind of semi-serious. I'm just coming off of a rotator cuff injury. I had to have surgery. 
but before then I was going to like national level meets. So I'm kind of more of the serious, I'm trying to qualify for things, maybe not the Olympics, cause that's a level way above me. I'm not trying to touch those people, but nationally I've been trying to go back, like go to meets and whatnot. So I'm a little bit more serious about it, but the way the atmosphere is, you don't have to be serious. It's really friendly. Like if you're a new person, you don't, People are intimidated when they go into gyms, but we're usually pretty dang friendly. <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know. Um, and what are some of your like favorite places to go to in Colorado Springs? Ooh. So I don't, I had to say, cause I'm, where are my favorite places to go? I don't really go out too much. Cause like right now it's just go to work, go to the, well, I'd say the gym. It's one of my favorite places because I'm an athlete. Um, where are my favorite places? I hate to say I'm not too much of a going out and like going outside and doing things because people like, oh, it's like people say like, oh, it's, oh, it's Garden of the Gods is this and that. And I really don't go to those places. I hate to be one of those people where like you have all this amazing stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, it's there. I don't care. Um, I did go to the Olympic Training Center. That place is cool. I did compete there, and I would suggest that anyone here go. I have not been to the Olympic Museum, which it's it's really interesting. I guess I don't want to say crazy, but you it seems like such an average town, but it's not really average because the, with the military, we got like five military bases, so in that way it's not average. And also, like, we're the home of the Olympic Committee. Like, it's based here. So we have the Olympic Museum and the Training Center, and there's a whole bunch of Olympians and, like, world-class athletes just hanging around here, and you wouldn't be able to tell if you're just, like, new to town unless somebody told you. Like, you could be going to the grocery store, and there could be, like, a gold medalist (laughs) walking down the aisle. So it's – so I don't know. I Sorry, I got off track, but I need to go to the Olympic Museum. haven't been there yet, but – other than that, I don't necessarily say I have a favorite place because most of the time I just go to the gym. Well, I used to go to the gym. My gym's kind of open now because we're in the age of COVID. Mm-hmm. Because we're so small, we can't afford for the gym to be open because usually 10 people is a lot in the gym in the first place more than that and it gets busy so we don't usually have that much so I'm still able to go to the gym I'm sorry for everyone who can't do that unfortunately um yeah I don't club Q which is the only like queer the only queer place that we have in the city really period I like go there during pride because that's when I'm most like, oh, I want to go out and socialize. It's pride. Let's go out and socialize. That's when I mainly do it. But I guess kind of anywhere down Tejon, honestly, I do like trying the new restaurants because there's a lot of new ones. For those who have not been here in a while, it didn't used to be like that. There were no apartment buildings in downtown. There were there are restaurants, but not these new ones, especially not the ones from Denver. So I do like going to those restaurants. I do like the food trucks. I do like going out and finding food trucks. And I think that's a neat ideal. And there's some areas in town where they just kind of meet up. So I do like that. So basically anything with food, just like a thrower. <laughs> like food. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I just go to the gym. That's pretty much it. It's my favorite place, I guess. 
Cool. And so you also do like some community activism and organizing and I think, or from what I understand, um, and you, yeah, so what's that been like for you? How did you um, like start organizing or getting involved in that so, way? So that's so interesting because like I always, I guess I said I, I graduated with a bachelor's in music, but I actually have a minor in political science. And I've been interested in politics since I was in high school and doing civics. And I've always watched the news, so I'm always up to, up to date on that stuff. So I think I went to a protest in the city because usually, as, well, it's happening more often now, but there would be like a protest at City Hall. It'd be over like immigration or at the time like don't ask, don't tell being overturned or stuff like that. So I would just like kind of go and hang out. And then you just, when you go to these protests, you just kind of get to know people. Cause I hate to say the same people always go to the same protest. And so I would, so that's kind of how I started just by going to protest a lot. And then because I was going to protest a lot, I was talking out more about things like cause something was bothering me like, you know, the trans ban and stuff like that, I would go and I would just like randomly talk about it or, you know, people being put in the, like immigrants being put in detention, I would go and talk about that. And so I would just start talking politics. And one day, one of my friends, she was at the NAACP in the city. And she was looking at me and saying, oh, you seem to be interested in this stuff. It's like, you should come to an NAACP meeting, which by the way, if you didn't know, we do have it. um, for those who don't, it's National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. We should know what it is. We do actually have one in the springs. You might not see them a lot, but we do have one. So you should go and check them out. But I was invited to go to a meeting. And the first meeting I went to, they're like, okay, we're just kind of restarting in the branch. And we have all these positions. So what positions are you going to do? So basically they were recruiting for the executive committee which was in the NAACP and I happened to be there so instead of just being a member I ended up being on the, the executive committee it's like hey you like civil you know civics and like politics so you're going to be in charge of civil engagement <laughs> which for me like I was in it I'm still I wasn't so much an introvert but I was still introverted so me being in charge of something I was like okay this is a thing I go from just showing up to a meeting to being in charge of this and now I have to organize you know debates amongst city council people so I just I was just kind of thrown into it at that point I went from protesting to just being in the NAACP and kind of organizing around that like I said like we had a citywide election where I organized like kind of a debate style thing amongst all the candidates in the library. I would obviously because they're in the WACP when stuff would happen we try to get actively involved so <clears throat> I became really active around the Devon Bailey case which don't know you know Don Devon Bailey was shot you know by police. They said he had a gun. I we still haven't seen the evidence of that. They also said that he was robbing someone, which that charge was false. But I kind of got involved in the protest at the beginning of that. And it just kind of kept going. It was like Devon Bailey and then, you know, kids being kept in cages and all this 
stuff started just happening and I just started going to protests. It felt like every other weekend it was like a protest. No, going to City Hall during the week to discuss Devon Bailey, you know, marching through the streets, calling for immigrants' rights. I was just kind of involved in everything. And then um, I'm trying to remember the first... And then I tried to do some queer stuff with like the NAACP because that's kind of where I wanted to do, kind of being active in the community. And I couldn't really get anything off the ground. I also volunteered for Inside Out Youth Services, which is the um, queer, like, it's not teen center. So basically it's the youth, did a queer youth center in the city. But unfortunately my job, because I work shift work, I couldn't do it anymore because you kind of have to be consistent, you know, because they're looking for adults that can constantly like, you know, be there for the kids and talk to them. And I was there for a little bit. And then with my schedule, it's my schedule shifts every three months. So right now I'm on a midnight to 830, but then they'll go back to normal shift. And then there's a point where it'll go from like four in the afternoon to midnight. So there's just never consistent time I could do that. But I was just trying to find a way to be active with an LGBT community. Part of me felt like I kind of owed the community since I spent half of my life or like you chunk of my life kind of being homophobic, kind of not fighting for the community, not speaking out when I should have spoken out. So I was trying to find something and I'm trying to remember, I think it was the Trans Visibility March was the first thing that I organized. And basically what happened is in Washington, D.C., they decided, hey, we're going to have a trans visibility march to kind of represent trans people, kind of talk about successes and also talk about um, like all the people we have lost because trans people being murdered in this country is a thing. It is problematic. I think this year it's it's like 28, probably more than that by the time I'm saying this. It's like kind of our own pandemic in the way that black and brown trans bodies are being murdered in the streets. And we also at the time had the trans military ban, which they relaxed the ban under like Obama. And as soon as Trump came in, he was like, no, I'm banning it again. So stuff like that was happening. And I just felt like, like, Hey, no, there are trans people in the city. They need to be represented. They're having a trans visibility March in Washington, DC. Like, why can't we just have a sibling March down here just to kind of say, Hey, this is an issue down here too. We need to be represented. We have issues, especially with the military being in the city. We have five bases. Our trans siblings are in these bases and right now they're not being taken care of. So I just, so I just threw one together. It was kind of haphazard because I'm, I say I'm an organizer, even though I never really considered myself that much as an organizer. It's just kind of like, well, if no one else is going to do it, then I guess I have to be the one to do it. So I bought like a portable PA and a microphone and I had a bunch of my like trans, like I had trans flags and queer flags and made, um, and made a post on Facebook like, hey, let's meet downtown and let's march for trans rights. And we had like 30 ish people show up because and I cannot kind of understand because I guess at the time after I came out I did not realize how being openly queer in a super conservative city is kind of not such a safe thing to do maybe a little bit safer but I didn't realize when I was doing that that that's 
kind of a little bit radical in a sense, especially being a focus on the family and all these conservative institutions. And I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm queer and I'll wear rainbows and I don't really give a damn. <laughs> I didn't realize that that was a, um, but that's nothing that everyone does. And then I start holding these events and I would have people tell me, it's like, hey, we, I saw you out there and you know, it was so cool and so supportive, but I'm not open. So I couldn't go and I was kind of afraid of what would happen to me. So we didn't have a big turnout, not because people were interested, it's because people were scared because going down the street screaming for trans rights is not something that ever really happens in the city. So I did that and that was the end of last year. And then this summer came around and, you know, pride for me is just my, my favorite time of the year. It's like my Christmas. It's like, I, you know, I look forward to that more than I look forward to anything. And so, you know, I was looking forward to pride this year and then George Floyd happened. And then, and it's like it happened right before pride month. And to me, I sat there and I thought about it because I didn't, I wasn't in a celebrating mood. George Floyd, I mean, this stuff keeps happening. People keep, like, unarmed black people keep getting shot. Honestly, just unarmed people, because something just happened this week, where a uh, kid with autism was killed, or, like, shot at. For, uh, but George Floyd happened. It was Pride Month. I wasn't really feeling prideful at the time. I was like, I can't sit here and celebrate Pride and say Happy Pride going into it when all this stuff is happening and the protests were starting to pick up. And then I thought about this, like, actually, this is exactly what Pride is because Pride started as a protest against the police, against police brutality. So with that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start, it's like, I, as a part of Pride for me this year, I need to start going out to these protests and like showing up and I'll show up with my Pride flag and I, the first one I kind of explained to them was like, if you're wondering why I'm here with my pride flag is because this is what pride is. At some point we got away from this. We just like, oh, it's about parties and, you know, rainbows and showing up to parades and day drinking, you know, having brunch and day drinking. It's like when the pride movement started as a fight against police brutality and sexism and racism and all these things. So this is exactly why I need to be here with my pride flag showing up and we should all show up because this is what it was supposed to be about in the first place. So I started showing up to protest, being a bunch of my friends because we felt the same way. And then, you know, because of COVID, everything got canceled and I was just planning on doing kind of a friendly, like kind of a fun event, like just driving around the city with pride flags just to show visibility. But me... I saw an article on Facebook talking about how LA had decided instead of canceling Pride, they're going to turn it into a solidarity march for Black Lives Matter. And I posted it on Facebook, and one of my friends got back to me and said, Hey, we need to do this. And I was like, Okay, it's like I've organized a march before. I've been kind of organized a little bit for NAACP, so I could probably pull this off. <clears throat> and we had two weeks. And we just decided, hey, let's throw some money in, make a banner, let's put it on Facebook, and let's just gather in Acacia Park, you know, queer, like, what do you call it, Pride Solidarity for Black Lives Matter, let's show them, like, hey, if you say you're in the Pride movement, then you need to be out here in these streets supporting Black Lives Matter, because Black Lives 
black lives is the reason why we have pride in the first place you know trans black women of color that started pride you know so we can't sit here and say that we celebrate pride if we're not going to stand for the people who started this in the first place so that's just kind of where it started and then so we did that and we had I, like a few hundred socially safely socially distanced people we had like a big crowd for that one and then i would just start going to other events and when i could get the microphone i just started talking about like hey you know if you're queer you need to be out here for black lives matter but then also talking to people makes like hey just so you know black lives matter needs to include all of us because at the same time that George Floyd was killed, like the same week, Tony McDade was killed in Florida. And I'm going to all these protests for Black Lives Matter, and no one's talking about Tony McDade. No one was talking about the trans women every year that were being killed. And so part of it was like, you know, we're sitting here saying that we're marching for Black Lives, but are we marching for all Black Lives? And that started and it's not just with me, just a lot of queer people started noticing we're going to these events, going to these protests. And not only is no one mentioning all the black people who have been killed by, like, black trans people who have been killed by police violence, no one's just talking about the trans people who have just been killed, period. You know, because if you we look at the numbers, almost every single trans person who has died from violence has been a person of color. So no one was talking about that. So I would just start going to events and saying, hey, you know, when we're marching for Black lives, we need to make sure that we're marching for trans Black lives and queer Black lives and not just the ones that you find acceptable. So I guess that's kind of how it just happened, how I became politically active. I just, most of the time, I just saw a space where, like, no one was doing anything. It's like, I'm in the NAACP you know, black people, like, they're queer black people, why don't we have a queer black arm of the NAACP in the city, so I tried to start that, and then I went to Pride, it's like, hey, we're going to the Pride month, but why aren't we talking about Black Lives Matter in Pride, because that's literally what it is, I was like, fine, I guess I'll, we'll do a march for that, and then going to all these, like, protests, and then watching that no one's talking about queer lives at all, and it's just, it's more of there's a vacuum that I saw happening, and I just happened to be the person <laughs> that decided to talk out about it. I'm not going to say I'm the best person for that. I am uh, I am not the best person for this. Again, I still consider myself an introvert, but if no one else has gotten to the point, it's like if no one else is going to do it, then I guess I'll do it. I'll put myself out there. I don't care at this point. I'm not really scared of anything happening to me. You know, people knowing that I'm queer or non-binary because I'm in a place, a place with my job in a place, I mean, even as rough as it is, I have, I work for the government. I have protections. As long as I don't say anything dumb, I'm good. You know, I'm financially stable you know i'm just i'm in a position of privilege where i can go and speak about these things and i'm not worried about what's going to happen to me i'm because nothing's really going to happen to me so i just decided to start stepping into these spaces wow that's in, that's inspiring um what are some like challenges that you've faced um just in your time being like politically active in Colorado Springs? 
Part of it is people, well, just in everyday life, people don't like to talk about politics. There's this like, oh, politics is divisive and we don't want to talk about, which to me is cold word as none of these issues actually affect me so I can get away with not talking about it. So let's not talk about it, which I'm not the person for that. I will push the buttons. But just getting people involved in politics making them realize that, hey, even if you think you're not involved and you don't talk about politics, every decision that is being made in the city is politics. Every, like the way you live your life, the way it is, is because of politics. It's, it's just like, hey, you're wondering why there's potholes in your street right now. That's because the person that you voted for at city council decided it wasn't important. So your streets aren't getting fixed. The way that your education system right now is the way it is, you know, with the testing is because of the people we voted on. So to me, one of the challenges is just to get people to realize, hey, you might not like politics, but it doesn't really matter if you like it or not. It doesn't matter if you want to be involved. Like, it's a thing and you need to get involved. So just getting people to be interested because people are apathetic. And I kind of realize why that's happened because if you've voted for so long and nothing ever changes, then you're like, why am I bothering to vote? If you're looking at the way the government is right now and both sides are constantly fighting and no one cares about the average person, you know, they're basically out for rich people as the way I see it, you know, you just kind of stop caring. So getting people just like, Hey, you need to care about what's happening in your city politically, you know, just be involved, period, go out, get registered to vote. Because I think in the city, even though we have mail-in ballots, we have mail-in ballots, and people still don't vote. They don't fill them out and just drop them off at the box and fill them in. It's like we are the most, one of the most liberal states for voting, like, and people still won't take the time out to vote. So just getting people just to be interested in politics and making them realize, hey, the reason why Devon Bailey, like, didn't receive justice is because the DA is an elected position and if you don't show up to vote you know to vote for a DA that will actually fight for these things what will happen is they'll he'll side with the cops and nothing will happen that's an election issue like when we're looking at the police department and how like these current protests like we were we would watch video of police officers just kind of assaulting police, uh, peaceful protesters. And the reason why nothing's happening is because you know our elected officials are supposed to put pressure on them and they're not. So just trying to make people realize that you might not want to talk about politics, but politics is still going to have something to do with you. Period. So that's one of my challenges. Actually, it kind of rolls into the other challenge of just getting people to show up because you also see people like talk about how they're frustrated with the system, how they want to help. But then when push comes to shove, no one shows up to protest. No, when, when we tried to run like events kind of educating people on issues, no one shows up for that. Just like activists are out here doing the work to try to educate the public and try to get them involved. And we just can't get people to show up. And I think part of the problem is that it's just kind of hard to do organizing in the city just the way it's laid out everything's so spread out there's no real community centers there's a few but not really a space where the community will like always get together we're 
that's starting to change with the Chinook Center, but like, I don't know, people are just so separated, everyone's so individualized here, everybody's kind of on their own, you got your cookie cutter house, and your family that you're worried about, and screw what's happening on the outside of the outside world, and unless you're really, really about it, and already kind of politically active, you're not going out to these events and kind of seeing what's happening and learning how to get involved. You're just kind of staying in your bubble, which, so, I mean, to me, organizing, that's kind of the challenge is just getting people to show up. And, and it's an issue because if people don't show, people are, people is power. So if no one's showing up to these events, no one's volunteering to help. So then it falls on the shoulders of a couple of people to start running these events and running these protests and when it's the same people you start getting worn out which is also a challenge is just not getting burned out not getting to the point where you just don't like hey i'm tired i've been protesting for a month straight and i haven't had a weekend off i need a weekend off but then when you stop going to things all of a sudden things just start drying up or new people take over and it's just it's it's a lot <laughs> of stuff like i'm I'm trying to organize, I was planning on organizing a march for October, but then I'm also working third shift right now, so like I get home during the day when everyone else is getting up, and I'm trying to go to bed, and then when I get up, you know, I'm still tired because I'm working crazy shifts, so it's like I need to be organizing things, but now I'm starting to get burned out because I was, when George Floyd happened, I was pro, like at all the protests. And I was still going to work, so I would like protest during the morning, go to work in the evening, maybe get an hour of sleep, go back out and protest like all the time. And you just get burnt out, and if you can't get people involved, there's no one like to take over for you. It's like that's why kind of the, some of the protests have gotten smaller because people have jobs. I hate to say it, we live in capitalism. As much as we will all like to like be out there all the time for the cause. If your bills don't get paid, you might be homeless and, you know, you might not have a car and you can't really protest at that point. That happens. So it's, I guess there's multiple challenges. It's, it's hard to kind of square it in my head. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm usually all over the place. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I mean, I guess it's just challenges that everyone else has. Oh, and it's also a challenge being in a city that is as conservative as it is. I mean, you've got a lot of new people that have moved from Denver, even moved from California, moved from more liberal states. So it's, there are a lot more people who care about these issues now, care about immigrant detention, care about you know, Black Lives Matter, care about, care about queer um, rights. But still a pretty conservative city. So when you're going into some of these protests, like, I have friends that are like Black Lives Matter. Like, I know people in my gym, like, Black Lives Matter is a terrorist group. And then I have to go to the gym with these people. Like, I've, like, I've just been in protests and, like, people, like, people will just shout, like, white lives matter at me type stuff. Like, this is, it's like, it's not like we're out here in, like, a, liberal place where you have like thousands and thousands of people like marching down the streets it's not like LA or Portland where they've been going for like 100 days straight we are a really conservative city the activists people are activists in this town who actually go out to these events is a very small crowd 
and so it's it's kind of feels like you're outnumbered or it feels like you're shouting into the wind sometimes and you might not be but when you show up and maybe you get 50 people and then you're surrounded by a bunch of people who don't like black lives matter who no, still like like super religious community who might not be into queer like rights or anything like like that that might say stuff to you. I've been fortunate enough, maybe because I'm a weightlifter and I'm big and no one has the nerve to say anything to me. But it just feels like you're surrounded. It feels like you're fighting a losing battle, you know. Especially like even though technically the way our system works for mayors is we don't have Republican or Democrat mayors. They're just kind of nonpartisan. They're not nonpartisan. They're still like a conservative government here. And obviously we got the military and the military is a very conservative institution. So you're fighting for things that might be a little bit more progressive and you're just surrounded by conservatism. It's kind of hard to find people you're fighting back against a lot of things, hoping that nothing happens to you, which we've had a couple people been like harassed and assaulted and trying to fight for things. So it's just, it's a lot. And it's hard to not to get burned out in an environment where you feel like people aren't listening to what you're saying. Or even if they might not be like out front, like racist or anything like that, you get like the people like, oh, well, why are you being so divisive? Like all lives matter. Like why? Are, like these are issues. I never see any issues. Just yeah, because the city's like eighty percent white. You're not gonna see a lot of things. So it's stuff like that. It's just frustrating. People keep sending me messages, and they usually never send me messages. It's annoying. <laughs> so how do you how do you stay motivated, and what like keeps inspiring you and pushing you to continue to organize? I'll admit that sometimes, sometimes just for your mental health, you kind of have to do take a break and take care of yourself. And you, it might feel like, hey, you know, if I'm not out there all the time for the cause, then, you know, I'm not about it when sometimes it's like, hey, I've been going at it for a while. I need to take a break and get my stuff together and then I'll come back. It's just kind of what I've done recently because of my work schedule and I technically should, like, I went to bed at like 10 o'clock I should have been asleep still so I've kind of slowed down a little bit I'll do what I can where I can like currently I've joined an organization called Black and Pink which is dealing with incarcerated LGBTQ like members and like like trying to build a partnership but people who are out like on the outside and people on the inside so I've been doing like small stuff with them, just kind of being in meetings and trying to organize some things, doing some smaller things that um, that I can do on my off time that won't burn me out so much. So the means just fitting in where you can get in. Like activism doesn't have to be protesting 24-7. Like being out in the streets all the time, sometimes activism, activism, which I have done is like, I'll go to like a panel and I'll bring up queer rights at the panel and that might only take me two hours. And that might be the only two hours of like activism I get in, but then I might reach like a couple hundred people. I'll do that. I'll like, I'm working with this organization. We're going to have a, like a card writing, a card writing event for like, for 
people having birthdays in October for like prison, like they're in prison. And to those people, that's important and that's important for activism. So it's just trying to find other ways to be active that it doesn't have to be in the streets. It could be that you just donate money to causes. It could be that you supply, you know, give supplies. Like if you see a protest, like I've done that where I couldn't go to a protest, but I can drop off a case of water. I can drop, drop off some snacks. So I'll do stuff like that. So it's just, just trying to find small ways to be active so I'm not completely disconnected and also just staying informed. Like as much as I would like to cut off the news, it's important to be informed on what's going on, especially in an election year. I'm praying to God it goes the right way because I can't take much more of this. But yeah, I've just, but just to keep, but a lot of it is just, I keep going because it's important. A lot of it is because I am a queer, non-binary person of color. So I don't have a choice. Every day I walk, I mean, this is just my life. I've been fortunate that I haven't encountered a lot of things, but to sit here and to pretend it has nothing to do with me, I mean, I can't do that. It's like my, the fact that I exist, the fact that I said, hey, I don't believe in like the way gender is constructed and I'm not going to live in that box. That is a political decision. And I decide to go out and wear, because I wear a lot of rainbows because I like them and Part of it because I like them and part of it because it's my form of protest. Like, we live in the city that's conservative. I've lived all my life living in a space where you couldn't be openly queer that you were told. Like, you should be, you should be shamed for being queer. So I'm going to go out and wear my rainbow stuff. And to me, that's my act of protest. Like, you're not going to tell me to be ashamed of this. I'm going to be out and loud, and I dare you to say something about it. So being out, and I don't think a lot of people realize this because I see people like, oh, you're coming out, what's the big deal with that? It's like, coming out, yes, it's for your mental health. There's a lot of weight that gets lifted off your shoulders when you come out, which happened to me. It's like all this toxicity and stuff that you hold in. And kind of like when you come out and you stop holding on to it, you feel lighter. But it's also a political choice. Like I identify as queer. That to me is political. It says something, you know, um, and I don't shy away from the house. I'll go out and I'll say I'm queer. And to me, that's that's being political, especially in this conservative space. That it is when I go out and wear ro- like rainbows. That's being political. It's just my existence, the fact that I exist in this world the way I do, is political. There's no way I can get away with it. So either I can actively participate in it and fight in it and help fight for people can't do it because I there's a lot of people who are openly queer in the city that they aren't in the position that I'm in that if they come out as queer they're getting fired point blank or or they're getting harassed or they might just have to leave their job where I'm not in that position so I can go out and say some stuff and what are you going to do to me you're not going to do anything to me so like I have the privilege of doing this I have the privilege with my schedule to maybe show up out of the to show up out of it at 11 o'clock in the morning and talk about Black Lives Matter and queerness because I have the privilege of time. I have the privilege of money where I can go to Denver and go to mass protests or I can go, like, I have access to transportation that if a protest happened right now downtown, I can take off and go. Where not a lot of people have that privilege and especially in the city where the bus system sucks. 
uh, the further <laughs> than this bus is, it is trash when it takes you two hours to go 15 minutes away. It's just like, I recognize that I have, I'm in a position where I can do a lot of things that other people can't, not that they don't want to, they're just not in a position, and that I need to take advantage of it. So I was like, my existence is queer, and as long as it's queer, I might as well do something with it, with the privilege that I've got, so... Yeah, for sure. Totally. Um, so I guess what are some of your most memorable moments like living in the Springs? Well, a lot of it's been these, the protests I've been to. I mean, as serious as they are, I have met a lot of people, like just made a lot of friends, which is kind of weird that you make protest friends, but that's what happens. Um memorable moments shoot so doing that actually the pride solidarity march to me was memorable because i emceed that which going from a person who didn't like to talk barely spoke in full sentences to going out in front of a crowd and seeing a freaking pride march that was crazy that's like to me it's like after the fact is like did i just do that that's insane um also, I did have another event that I did that wasn't so, I guess it was activism, but not really. I just wanted to do Pride, and I didn't want COVID to stop me, so I gathered a bunch of people. We decorated our cars, and we just drove around town, like had our own Pride parade, just a motorcade, and we drove around. That was memorable because people reacted to it really positively. Like, oh, yay, look, there's people driving around in Pride flags especially in a conservative city like the, like this, you'll, you never usually see that unless it's like actual pride. And it's, it's usually pride is downtown. You never see it outside of downtown. But the way I made it is like, hey, we're going to drive, you know, all the way to old Carrell City and back. We're going to drive, you know, down Academy and back. We're going to go to the north end of town where they probably never see a pride flag. And I remember I was driving down the street and I was looking at, and I see a kid pointing at the pride flag and jumping up and down like oh my god it's a pride flag and me like I think that was one of my proudest moments because one of my things is being open is like I kind of wanted to be that person that like Arlene was for me coming out just having an openly queer person and being kind of influential in that way so when I see people jumping up and down like look at the pride flag I'm just like oh that like kind of gets to me so that was memorable. Then other than that, um, just going to Pride period down here because it, cause I did grow up like in Springs where we didn't have a Pride really and no one ever really talked about it. So my first Pride was very memorable. Just going downtown to seeing the Pride flags going down the street. I was just like, this is like, to me, it was super cool. It being as, it just amazes me still, sorry, I'm still thinking about it, I was like, as conservative as this place is that we have a pride in the first place, especially with focus on the family with all these churches in town, but just the conservative is swirling around that we can still have a pride and have fun and it's awesome and I love it and, and it was just so memorable to me every single year I go, it's awesome. Um, what else in the springs? I'm trying to think. Because, again, I usually just stick to the gym. So, for me, 
all my stuff is surrounded by athletics. So just, oh no, no. I will say my first weightlifting meet was actually at the Olympic Training Center. And that was cool because I had never been there before. It's like sitting in the middle of the city, but I never took the time to visit it. And then I had a weightlifting competition there. So that was memorable for me. Um, trying to think. Oh, just because my mom was in the is in the military. She actually worked at NORAD. There was a point in my life when I was a little kid, I actually got to go to NORAD because you used to be able to like go inside and like look around and whatnot. They would allow civilians. You might have to get like permissions and stuff like that, but you can go in there. So I've been to NORAD and that was cool, but that was before and. Not funny, but it is September 11th. September 11th changed all that, so you can't really do that anymore. So I've been to Noran, so that's cool. Um, I can't really think of any more memorable moments. Well, I guess, like, high school for me was memorable because I'm from here. So, like, going to state championships and doing all that athletic stuff. When I came, actually, when I came back from college, there's still people who remember who I was, which was kind of <laughs> cool. Cause like, oh yeah, you know, it's Ash. No, it's Ash Stevens. Like, you know, you know who this is. And the state champion. So I have like coaches telling them about me and about what I did, which I'm like, wow. I was like, I actually did things. Cause I usually never. It's so weird. Cause when I'm in it, I usually never talk about it. Like. You know, when I was in, like, college, you know, I I was in track, but I never talked about it unless I was like, hey, I have to go to track meet this weekend. I can't, like, you know, go hang out or anything like that. So I never talked about it. Then even, like, when I won nationals, I never really talked about it. Like, I won nationals. It's a thing that happened. And then I put all the trophies and stuff in the box, and then I never talked about it again. And so I usually don't talk about so when I have people coming up to me saying oh yeah you did all this stuff and they're like oh how cool is that and then I tell my nationals and then their eyes just kind of I was like oh yeah that is actually a thing that's important that I did or I like go to the gym and my coach knows because usually like how I got introduced to weightlifting is like some I say oh yeah you know this is Ash, who's national champion discus thrower, you know, getting into weightlifting, blah, blah, blah. So it's like mentioned on the front end, and then I never talk about it again. And then every once in a while, a new person will come to the gym, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, and this is Ash, you know, they're national champion discus thrower. And they're like, oh. and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's like a thing still. It's like that's kind of something that I did that's important. So just kind of running into moments like that where, I guess I am, one of, well, I'm not like an Olympian, but I am one of those people, like, you wouldn't suspect looking at me that I've done anything like that, and then I just walk around the city, and people are like, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so did this, and I'm like, oh, snap, it's like, I am one of those athletic people that are just hanging around the springs that you wouldn't imagine. That's true. If there was an Olympic, um, Olympic hammer thrower that went to my gym like I knew who she was and no one else knew who she was but you just have like people in the city it's just like oh that person's an Olympian that person's an Olympic like weight um wrestler over there that's a triathlete over there it's just like kind of memorable to me just meeting all the elite athletes that live in this city that you wouldn't suspect and you're just like oh 
you just happen to be in my gym. That's cool. Okay, I'm just lifting with an Olympian. Or they'll Olympians will actually show up to because some of them are based in the city for weightlifting, so they'll just show up to a meet. Or they'll just decide, hey, you know, I'm just going to compete in this meet today. And you're like, oh, crap, I'm lifting with an Olympian. I'm about to get my butt whipped. <laughs> well, okay, sure. Like, you know, silver medalist, whoever. Sure, I'll lift with you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, would you have any advice for um, young people who are growing up in the Springs now? Um, and probably specifically for like young people who maybe like don't fit in or are different or yeah. It's kind of hard because the world I grew in, it's completely different than when it was. Cause now I grew up in a time where no one was coming out as anything like that being weird was you're just weird and no one talked about it. You didn't have YouTube. You didn't have all these resources that kind of like be able to just look stuff up. So it's sometimes I feel like I should be asking younger people for advice, but I guess I was to say for, I mean, if you feel like you're weird, there's nothing wrong with being weird. That means you're just more interesting than everyone else. That's what I would say. Like, don't be ashamed of, being different because because we shame people for being different from not fitting in the mold when it turns out those are the things that will make you most successful in life is you're not the person who fits in you're not the person who get along like goes along to get along that you are different like if look up any celebrity look up anybody who's like famous they're not average people they were never average people you think beyonce lived an average life she was never average she was not mm-hmm. ever basic like any person that you meet like bill gates he was never an average person like they were like the weird ones they were the odd ones the ones that you know the nerd that might sit in the back and like love computers and stuff like that that turns out to be the person who's the head of microsoft making a billion dollars you know today it's <clears throat> you know it's like yeah like the queer person who might, you know, like to get dressed, you know, wear dresses and heels. You know, that per- person like that is today like RuPaul, who's famous, who has like RuPaul's Drag Race and is known all over the world. It's like, it's the weird people who make things interesting. So I'd say if you're weird, if you're a little different, don't be ashamed of that. Embrace that. Tell, yeah, tell people, yeah, I'm not basic like the rest of you. Well, maybe don't tell them that. <laughs> Just kind of embrace the weirdness, and I guess it's a little bit easier to say that nowadays because people are a little bit more accepting. We don't, like, I think people who come out now, it still might be hard for some people, but for the most part, like, with same-sex marriage, with, like, the progress we've just made, like, in queer rights, is just, it's just a little bit easier. I would still say take your time, though. Don't let anybody pressure you. Don't feel like that you have to come out right away because coming out to process is not something that one day you find out you're queer and all of a sudden you're just supposed to come out as queer and that's it. Um, It does take time. And if it takes you a little bit longer, like it took me till I was 30, almost 31. So don't be ashamed of that. It happens when it happens. Um, realize it's a process even after you come out it's a process because i came out as gay and then a little bit further i was like oh i'm not gay because i don't 
identify with gender is there's still stuff that I question about my queerness and still I'm still learning like language is changing like non-binary wasn't a thing when I was growing up and now it's like it's a thing you know gender queer is a thing the fact that you don't have to live within the binary I mean it's not new I mean it's not new but it's new the language is new people's understanding about it is a little bit newer I mean it's always existed but now we're actually kind of openly talking about it so just <clears throat> just realize you don't have to have everything figured out about your queerness that you don't have to have everything figured out, period. Because people who are grown, they don't have their stuff together. People, you know, you go to college, you think, oh, you know, I'm going to college, I'm an adult now, you know, whatever. And you're not. You're still, like, and I hate to say that, like, you just still don't have everything figured out. So, I mean, most people don't even know what their major is, like, and they switch majors every other year. So, and even after you graduate from college and you have your degree and you have an ideal of where you want to go, it might not be where you end up. You might be, you might end up in a completely separate space and that's okay. That maybe you went for college for one thing and then just to say, ah, this isn't work. Let me find a different space. You know, just realize that that happens, that you don't have to have everything figured out with your job, with your career, with your queerness, just with anything. Like part of becoming an adult is just realizing, hey, I I evolved in some spaces. I, you know, the person that I was in high school is not the same person I am now. The person I was in college is not the same person I am now. The person I was a year ago is not the same person. I'm not the same person I was a year ago. Or when I came out, I've, I've evolved a lot if I've if I were to go back to my past self and tell, hey, these are the things that you're going to be doing and this is how you're going to identify, I would think I had lost my freaking mind. It's like, it's like, no, like, I would, I would never go out in front of a crowd of people and talk about queer rights. I would never do that in my life, but things change. So my advice, embrace being different. Being different is cool. People that are different are the ones get, making the money, so don't shy away from that. Take your time in discovering who you are. You don't need to know who you are right away. Just because you hit 18 or 21 or 31 means that you need to know who you are. I mean, there's still people who are 40 years old that are kind of rediscovering themselves and just deciding, hey, I'm going back to college because I realize at 40 that this is not where I want to go. Instead of being in a corporate setting, I want to be a photographer and doing stuff like that. So you don't have to have everything figured out and just last thing was is if you believe in something just stand for it and not everyone's going to agree with you people might argue with you but I think if you truly believe in something if you believe that something is wrong or you believe that something is right and you want to fight for it just go ahead and do it no there's there's not going to be a moment there's not going to ever be a right time to do it there's not going to be a moment where everyone, you're just going to come out and fight for something or say something you believe and 100% of people agree. That never happens. You're always going to have to push back. If people are going to push back on you, if anyway, if people are just going to disagree with you anyways, then you might as well say, screw it. I'm going to do what I want. Do it with your queerness. If people no, are going to disagree with your queerness and talk stuff about you, it's like, you know, just say, screw them. They don't control your life. 
don't live your life off of someone else's standards. If you believe in something, do it. If you're queer, as long as you're safe, I guess I should say that because if you're in a situation where it would be unsafe for you to come out, don't do it. Don't do it. Protect yourself. Protect your mental health. If you're queer and for some reason you might like actually lose your job or you might get kicked out of your house, and I'm not recommending that. Don't let people push you into that. But if you're in a position where you can be out and queer, you know, people are going to judge you no matter what, so you might as well do it. You know, what are they going to do to you? Screw it. So, sorry, that was a little ranty, but. That's good advice, for sure. Um, do you see yourself living in Colorado Springs for a long time? I see myself staying here. Um, because I was in athletics and I am in athletics, I do get to travel around a lot, especially for when I was in like doing track. I've been to the East Coast. I've been to Boston and Florida. Well, between track and weightlifting, I've been on both coasts. I've been in the middle of the country. And every time I go somewhere, I kind of think to myself, is there anything here that I couldn't find in the Springs? And there really isn't. Like, there's one point I thought, oh, maybe I'll move out to California. You know, it seemed like a cool place to live. But then I went out there and I was like, you know, this is a little bit more liberal area. You know, I probably would be more openly accepted here. But honestly, I have no problem where I'm at. Um, and honestly, everybody from California is moving here anyways. So if I wait a couple of years, this will just be mini California. So I don't, I think, I feel like a lot of people I know are coming from the coast. Like I meet, I know more people that are not from here in Col from Colorado, Colorado Springs. I know people who are, are born and raised here and grew up here. Like I have one friend, like she's moving back to California but she was from California. Like, I have people, know people from, like, New York. Like, they're all coming here anyway, so I might as well just stay. And honestly, like, again, I thought about moving to California, but considering it's always on fire now, it doesn't seem like a smart decision. Because, like, everywhere you look, it's like, oh, maybe I'll move here. But there's hurricanes and there's massive flooding. California's on fire. It's just super too cold for me and humid to live up north. So just traveling around a lot, it's just like, Colorado Springs isn't a bad place. Maybe, sometimes I think maybe I'll move to Denver, but then also as much, because I make a decent amount of money, I make well over minimum wage, and I'm blessed that I do that. But even with that, it's hard to afford a place still. You're like, Denver, it used to be I said when I was teaching, I could find a place for 500 bucks and it'd be decent. Like a, I had an apartment. It was like in one of those old Victorian homes, but I had an apartment for 500 bucks downtown Colorado Springs. And now you can't find anything like that for less than 800 bucks, if not like 900 bucks. Like Denver, the housing, like the amount of rents and just housing is just skyrocketed. So I'm also looking at that and looking around and look like, I don't think I can really even afford to go anywhere, even as much money as I make right now, except the only place is maybe Pueblo, but then I'm a weightlifter. All the stuff I have is up here anyway, so I don't, unless I want to do that commute, which I kind of don't want to do, I think Springs is pretty much it. I don't see a need to go anywhere else. 
Yeah. And with that being said, what are like some like hopes or like, what do you think are some of the most important changes or I guess, what are some of your dreams or hopes for like the for Colorado Springs? Well, hmm. well, right now my main, the thing that I'm worried about my, for my hopes for Colorado Springs is I hope they make it more affordable to live here because it is kind of getting expensive especially for it's not like we're a big city like Denver or LA or anywhere else but we're our housing prices are starting to go up I'm seeing how it's affecting my friends where everyone's kind of renting and no one's being able to own their own homes so one of my dreams for Colorado Springs is just affordable housing just to have some affordable housing for me going even though right now I live in one of these houses I hate the cookie cutter houses I hate the like the suburban sprawl I hate what's happening, I hate to say it, out east where it's just, you know, single family homes, they all look the same, it's all, I would hope that we would invest more in like, I guess multi, I can't remember how to put like multi-purpose homes, like more than single family, like multi-family homes, more into apartments, more into like, just maybe condos, just more affordable options for people. Is one of mine, like, kind of hopes for Colorado Springs that we can do that so that people can afford to live here. That you can make a minimum wage, and hopefully, one of my other dreams is hopefully minimum wage is a little higher because even like making $15 an hour, you still can't really live here unless you got a whole bunch of roommates. So, hopefully, we have a livable wage, hopefully, we have affordable housing. I know they're starting this project with Plan COS or something like that, trying to like revamp the city. And I hope that when they do that, they do consider the people who are here, because we are being the city is being gentrified. Just come out and say it. If you go down South Nevada, that's not how it used to look. <clears throat> if you just go to some areas of town where they're building nicer, newer stores and these, I like to call them Denver-style apartments but none of the stuff is affordable when a studio apartment's like $1,300. It's kind of ridiculous. And I see what the mayor and the people want to do to the city and they want to make it nicer. And I'm not saying that's not a good thing, but my hope is that they consider the people who live here and that they can continue to live here. Someone who's been living in a neighborhood for like 20 plus years doesn't get all of a sudden tossed out of their house because their property values have gone up so much that they can't afford the property taxes. I hope that's taken into consideration. I hope young people who are getting out of the college like <laughs> can afford to stay here because it sucks like we have people graduating because we do have two colleges and they graduate and then they can't like they won't can't find a job that pays them enough just to work that one job and you have to work multiples just to afford a $800 apartment that's not even the nice apartment. It doesn't even give you a lot of room. I hope that the city takes that in consideration. Hopefully a dream of mine is this is this place used to be affordable. That was kind of the secret that people who lived here is like, oh, it's like kind of close to Denver, but super affordable. You know, I hope it becomes that city again. I hope it becomes more queer friendly. I mean, it's already getting to that point. But I hope it continues. I hope that the trans military ban is lifted and that goes away because we have five military bases. That is 
very much a part of the city and we have a trans community in those bases and I hope that gets taken care of. Shoot, what were my other dreams for the... And also, one thing I've been focusing on, which I didn't talk about a lot, or maybe I did, is just policing in the city. I hope there's some accountability. I hope there is a independent police accountability board that has some actual power because what happened to Devon Bailey is ridiculous. And that is not the only thing that has happened in the city with the police. Like, I know people have been harassed by the police. I've been pulled over. I was pulled over for just, I was volunteering at Inside Out Youth Services and the cop pulled me over and just said he didn't like the way I pulled out in front of him, show me your license. So, I mean, we do have an issue with policing in the city. There needs to be some accountability. Our current police chief is, doesn't seem like he's interested in really changing any of that. So I'm hoping with all of these movements who have that have started, or a lot of movements have been around for a while in the city, but are just now starting to pick up more steam because now people are realizing that we have an issue in the city. And so we need to get more involved. I hope that policing changes in this city. I'm, I would say I'm part of the defund the police crowd, maybe just a hey. If you guys can't protect us the way you're supposed to protect us, then maybe we should cut some of your funding, put it towards programs that would be able to help the community, put it towards more mental services, because it's hard to find a therapist around here or something for behavioral health, put it more towards like job opportunities and stuff like that, because if people had jobs, they wouldn't, you know, had opportunities to like lift themselves up, they wouldn't be out committing crimes, not saying that's always how it happens, but you don't offer people opportunities to do things where they're going to turn to. They got to do what they got to do to survive. And just, I would just, and I would also just like more community building. I would honestly like more community centers in this city and it, it not to be so spread out. And that's partially happening with the Chinook Center. I'm not sure if you know or how many people know there's, <clears throat> they just opened a spot off of the airport. I, unfortunately don't have the address, but you could just look up the Shinnick Center, and it's where a bunch of, you you can become a member, like, like not political organizations, I was going to say, um, nonprofits, like, progressive organizations be, can become members and start running events out of this center, and that could be like, it's like a physical space for them to collaborate, to have events, and it just started, so hopefully that can be like kind of the center of a community for some people, and we can like be more connected because sometimes I do feel like I'm feel disconnected from the city just because the way it's built. So one of my hopes is that we change that and that we have more community in the city and that we can become more connected instead of all over the place. Hope maybe downtown can be, I mean, it's got businesses, but it could be better revitalized, just more stuff downtown. So more people feel like they can go down town and like hang out with one another and everybody from every part of the city could come downtown and kind of feel like they are part of the city instead of all these separate neighborhoods instead of feeling like I'm just from the south side and someone's just from Stetson Hills and from like the north side of the city because it does feel like completely separate cities at some times so hopefully we can change that hopefully the plan COS is trying to fix that without over gentrifying things but yeah, um, I just got a couple of ideas just floating in my head. Yeah, those are great, and I, 
really hope that some of those changes can be realized soon or just in the, you know, in the future of Colorado Springs, because I feel like there's so much potential here. And it's- oh, and I will say mass transit. Hmm. One of my things, <laughs> the first thing I could ask for, if I could snap my fingers and say, this is what I want the city to have, it would be a mass transit um, system in the city because it is a privilege to have a car and be able to go places. But even there's that massive hellstorm that happened a while ago. And I lost my car because of that. Like it got totaled. And for like a month and a half, I didn't have a car. And I realized like, if you don't have a car in the city, you're screwed. <laughs> you can't get anywhere. If you do have a bus stop, if, well, most of the bus stops, if you're lucky, are right next to your house. But some of them, you have to walk 30 minutes just to get to the bus stop, and then you have to get on the bus, go downtown, wait another 30 minutes maybe to like 45 minutes to then get on another bus to take you where you're going to go. It's like this transportation city, this transportation in the city is just garbage. I think so I, my dream would we would have a working bus system, maybe some type of rail system, like Denver kind of has, has a rail system. They have something like the 16th Street Mall where you can just get on for free and ride places. I wish we had something like that, especially because we have so many suburbs around here. It's, I guess people would assume that you would have a car if you live out in these areas, but if you're an older adult that does live with your family, you might not have a car. You might be using your parents' cars, so you still need a way to get around the city. And just, it just, it could be better. We could invest more in public transportation and make it affordable for people who need it and have a rail system somehow, even if it just goes through downtown and has some sort of rail system. And to also have a way to get to Denver and back without having to drive. They're doing the, the toll road, which I think is, excuse me, it's BS that's a toll road. They are expanding it, so maybe it's not so much traffic, but they really need a train to go from Fort Collins all the way down to Pueblo, even to Trinidad. They, they can make it a straight shot. It's not that hard. If I could, like, public transportation in Colorado Springs, that would then take you to the public transportation that could take you to Denver and back. So if you wanted to work in Denver, hey, I can just take this train and be up there in 30 minutes. So they always bring it up. Since I've been here, they've always brought it up and, oh, maybe we'll have a train coming from the Springs to Denver constantly all the time. And it never happens. They had like some bus that you can take for $13 that went from Denver and Springs and back, but that's inconsistent. So I guess if I had a big dream right now, it would be that because this is ridiculous. And that's what someone with, I have a good car. I have a pretty decent car. So I'm not really worried about you know, it breaking down or anything like that, but I still recognize that that's a privilege and that not everyone has it. And my big hope is that the city council realizes that with the city growing like it is, with traffic getting as bad as it is, that we do need public transit, that we should stop pumping toxins into the environment, all that good stuff too. Yeah. And just in terms of like making the city feel like more of a community, if more people have access to transit and like ability to move around and get places, that would make a big difference for yeah. sure. 
it's really easy to put yourself in the box in the city, in the bubble, to where you have your community and you have people that are like you and you never have to interact with everyone else, which I guess also makes it hard to kind of relate to people that are protesting downtown. If you live up in like Cordera or Northgate or one of those upper communities, you're not involved with anything that happens down here at all. Even living like living where I live, I live closer to security. And you're kind of removed from everything that's happening in the city. The only reason why I'm active is because I actually do go out and do go downtown. I do like when Colorado College is doing stuff, I do try to go to like I went there when Sean King was there. I'll go to events like that. I'll go to UCCS where they have like panels and stuff. So I make an active attempt to go out into the city. So I actively push myself outside of the bubble. Whereas I mean, you can literally live in the city and never leave your part of town and not really get to know the rest of the city. And that, that lack of community, it's very unfortunate. And I think that's something that needs to change. And public transportation could do that because if you have to take the bus with everyone else, instead of being in your individual car by yourself, you get to know people. Or if you decide to say something like offensive or something, you know, you're in your little bubble in the part of town, and you have your views and you want to say something offensive and all of a sudden everybody in public transportation is like, um, excuse me? <laughs> Might change things also. There are probably a couple of benefits from having that, but pie in the sky dreams. We'll see if the city actually does it. Maybe when I'm 40. <laughs> oh, that's actually, I say that like it's so long. It's like, <laughs> oh no, it's like six years. <laughs> So maybe when I'm 60, I'll put it further away. But hopefully when you're 40, hopefully. <laughs> well, I think that's all the questions. Mm -hmm. I think that's all the questions that I have for you. I don't know if Daniel has anything else he wants to add. Um, but yeah, this was really great. If there's any, or if there's anything we didn't talk about also, if you, that you wanted to talk about, um, now would be the time. But if not, that's also fun. So, I should be, see, I'm a horrible person. I should be plugging things that I'm involved in. But, so right, again, right now, I'm in an organization called Black and Pink, which is um, basically building community with incarcerated LGBTQ people and also kind of advocating for them and kind of building that people that are inside partnership with people are outside, so I've been working with them, and we are actually having a few events. I should have grabbed my notes. Hopefully, I'll just remember off the top of my head. This Saturday, I think at one o'clock at the Chinook Center, we are having a letter writing party for inmates for their October birthdays. It will be outdoors. It will be social distance. We will have all the stuff for that. So we are doing that. Um, and this might not come out by then, but I'm just putting it out there because I should. Um, we are also going to have a book club, which by the time this comes out, it should be going like every month. We're going to do some abolitionist like readings. We're reading Angela Davis starting at the end of the month. Like, are prisons obsolete? We're going to be doing that. Um, is there any other events? I think actually those might be the two main ones. And I guess this group used to be based in Denver, but those people are moving. So people in Colorado Springs have taken over the work and we are starting to do that. And since 
we are kind of in the era of Black Lives Matter, and we're we're sitting there marching the streets for black lives that are being shot by the cops. We also need to remember there are plenty of black lives in this in the prison industrial complex, and a lot of them are also queer that we need to also be concerned about. We can't say that black lives matter if all black lives don't matter, if, if all black lives don't matter. And so that has to include people who are in prison. We can't just forget about them and we have a tendency to overlook them. We're marching for George Floyd, but no one's marching for the person who was sent to prison on some weed charges, especially since it's legal here in the city. So the fact that anyone's still in prison when there's literally businesses going up all the time, making money off of it is ridiculous. So, so I mean, black, so look up black and pink, Colorado Springs or Colorado no more prisons and you'll find us. Um, I'm supposed to be organizing March. I'm a little bit slow on that for um, another trans visibility March. Hopefully I can get it off the ground. If not, it'll definitely be for next year because the one in DC, they went to online because of COVID. Everyone's gone on online because of COVID. So that's unfortunate, but I am working on that. Um, was there anything else I wanted to talk about? Um, no, that's it. Oh, just because I didn't know this. I think this event has been going on for a couple of years. It was supposed to be sometime in November, but I'm, I'm going to assume it's going to get canceled, but I just want to put this out there, that there is a transforming gender conference that happens in Boulder every year. So if you are someone who questions your gender, questions your gender presentation, just anything around gender, the transforming gender conference happens at um, CU, CU Boulder campus every year, not this year because of COVID, but it will happen next year. So if that is something that you're questioning or you're interested in and stuff like that, that'd be a good conference. It's free. You just have to get your transportation up there. And like, if you want to stay, you have to get a place to stay, but that's a cool spot. Um, if you're queer in the city and looking for community, there is Queer Friends of Colorado Springs. They're not well, it's COVID, so I think they've done a couple of online events, and they used to do a lot of public events, from just hanging out to the bar, to going hiking, and just, just a bunch of queer people that like to get, to get together and hang out. So if you're looking for a community, especially in a city that doesn't really have community, it's an online, you can find them on Facebook, they're an online group, but they also do public events, and hopefully when they come back, they'll be doing more public events. There's also a Trans Friends of Colorado Springs. And we felt like, yeah, you know, we have people that are queer, but sometimes it's different being trans or non-binary and having to navigate this that space. And sometimes it's nice just to be surrounded by people who understand that and not have to, like, explain what non-binary is for the fifth time or talk about, like, maybe somebody is queer, like gay, but as a turf, it doesn't like trans people and you have to deal with that. So sometimes it's nice to have a safer space than the one you already created. So Trans Friends of Colorado Springs is also a group you can go to. Um, that's on Facebook. They're, they were also on Meetup. I don't know if you haven't done events lately because of then, again, COVID, everything's COVID's fault. But if you still are looking for a community, even if it is online, especially for people who actually live in the city. They'll check that out. And just one more random organization I'm throwing that in there because I did not put say this, but I do like camping. 
I do, I just started liking camping. I haven't been a big camper, but I, I just started last year and then was really going to go out this year. But then again, COVID kind of put a damper on that. But I have been involved, not involved, but I have gone to events by this group called the Black Packers. And the entire point of that organization is to encourage people who might not have access to the outdoors to get out, those who do not have the privilege, because people might think, oh, the outdoors, you walk outside and that's it. But going camping, doing hiking, that stuff is extremely expensive, extremely expensive. Even like a sleeping bag, you can drop $100 on the sleeping bag and it not even be a decent one. You know, tents are expensive just the fees and the stuff it costs like going to a national park sometimes you have to pay a fee to go to a national park to go fishing a fishing license is like 45 bucks you know not everyone has that the fishing gear can caught run you a hundred dollars easy so black packers their whole idea is to get rid of those barriers for those who are like marginalized communities the uh, just people of color just people who don't have the means and they supply the gear for free. They basically, they offer trips for free. Like the camping trip would be free and they would provide you the tent, the sleeping gear, like all the equipment they would provide for free. And um, sometimes if there's like an event, I went to, I cannot remember. There is a YMCA camp over off by Deckers and I'm gonna feel bad for not, remembering it but they offer that for free so as long as you can get up there you can go to like a ymca like summer camp which people from marginalized communities people who grew up in the southeast side like i did i didn't get those opportunities growing up and now you have an organization offering that for free and patricia cameron is the one who is the one who runs that nonprofit, and she's amazing if you've you can look it up on facebook she was the person who well, um, did the Colorado Trail. That was like a 485 miles from like Aurora to Durango. She was the one who did that whole thing. That was her. She's in charge of that organization. And it is queer, it is queer friendly. Like the one of the first things they say is, hey, we are a safe space. We don't tolerate, you know, homophobia or sexism or bigotry. Like this is a queer friendly spot. So if you're queer, maybe don't have the resources, want to go camping, especially now since all the inside events are canceled you can also do that and i would encourage you to look up carl black packers i'm trying to think of all the organizations i can just like throw in there um go check out the shunek center they do a lot of good work in the city for activism if you want to be an activist or just want to start to get into that i would highly encourage you to go to shunek center and they also have a food pantry that they run every sunday now so if you know someone who needs food or like is food insecure because this city has like the most food deserts in the country. I think I actually did look that up. We have a lot of food deserts just because the way it's laid out. If you need food, you can go to Shinook Center and every Sunday and get food there. And if you just need to do activism type things, um, you can do that also. I'm trying to think of all the good organizations. Obviously the NAACP does exist in Colorado Springs. If you want to be involved with that organization, has a history, um, you can do that. I think that's all I can <laughs> I can plug. Oh, and I'll also do one more thing since I can 
talk about whatever I want. Poetry 719 is also another local organization in the city. They mainly do poetry events, but they do focus marginalized communities. So if you're like a person of color who's looking for a community, um, just somewhere to go to meet people to hang out and maybe you like poetry, Poetry 719 is, holds events all the time. Even in COVID, they've been doing a lot of Zoom, a lot of Zoom poetry events. Ashley Cornelius is the person who's in charge of Poetry 719. I would highly suggest if you want to be connected to the community, not just in poetry, but just in general to go to them. Because a lot of the people who are activists are also a part of Poetry 719. So that is another thing. And they, they also... Ashley does run a queer open mic. It just passed like a few weeks ago. Um, Ashley held a queer open mic. She did a non-binary mic night, mic night where she had a, a non-binary person hosting that one. She had a women's night. She just, she does a whole lot of good work and just is building community, like doing the active work. So if you're looking for community, Poetry 719, they do have a Facebook and Instagram account. I don't know if she has a Twitter. I mean, I don't know. I'm not on Twitter that much, but definitely on Facebook and Instagram. You can look that up too if you're looking for a community. I think that's all I have to plug. <laughs> Thank you. No, that's all great information. Um, yeah, no, I will look into those myself as well. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have to ask you. So, um, thank you so much for your time and uh, contributing to this project. Yeah, I was thanks, thanks for listening to me ramble. I tend to go on and also I apologize for that. I should have warned you beforehand. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to stop the recording just because. Uh...